Hey again. Hey, what's up, dude? Man, today. Uh huh. The man. Uh huh. Masahiro Sakurai. Smash Man. Posted a video <laughs> where he came up and he's like, guys, we're revealing the new characters today. Super secret. Nintendo employees don't know about it. We've been working on it in private. They're going to get surprised by this reveal today. I, I watched this as well and I was like, oh man. This is going to be big. It's not even what we're expecting because the clear internet trend was that it was Dante. Specifically because there was news about DMC3 the same day. Right. And then that dropped at 11 p.m. the previous night. Yeah. And that should have been our first sign. Right. <laughs> that it was not Dante. But yeah. And then news like, all right, here we go. Here's a video. And there's another fucking Fire Emblem character. <laughs> Guys, it's Marth again. <laughs> Not really, but Not like the character is very different from other Fire Emblem characters. So, I don't like it. But not just because like oh look, another sword character or whatever. Like, you know, I I, I was don't care about that. I was initially kind of mad about it, but I think partially some of that was being up early. Because I got up early to see who it was, like a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, that's not how early I usually get up. Um, not that it's bad to get up early. Probably would have been fine. Like Tim Gaines <laughs> and Blessing Jr. from Kind of Funny did. And then yeah. the Fireball characters showed up and you could watch their souls leave their bodies. Yeah, I saw a uh, compilation of like ten streamers just no, no face reacting. Yeah. The stream. Um, now, for people that are into Fire Emblem and people that love Three Houses, this is cool. But I think that the precedent they set with the DLC characters for Smash was really interesting because they started with Joker and people were like, what? And that really set the precedent for like what you can expect. And they were like, it's Dragon new Quest. franchises, Dragon Quest, Banjo, Terry. These are all characters that aren't fucking Nintendo at all. They're crossovers with another company. So I was right. expecting DLC character 5 to also be a crossover with another company. That's why everybody's predictions were so crazy. Right. Dante, Tracer, Doom Guy, yeah. Gordon Freeman, you know. Oh. The the possibilities seemed literally endless because we're at the point where characters that don't even have a chance of hell of even having a game on the Switch at all are, are in Smash Brothers. Yeah. And that's just cool. And I hope it continues to be that way, at least to some regard... In season two, or whatever you want to call I it. I hope Sakurai... But here we are. ...got his Fire Emblem nut out. Because <laughs> he loves Fire Emblem. And if you couldn't tell from the absolute tirade he went on during the presentation... That was funny as shit. He loves Fire Emblem. And that's why there's so many Fire Emblem characters. Counting out the titles in binary, the madman. The absolute madman. That was something else. That man's a very... He's a very smart man. And very interesting, man. And I wouldn't mind if he had his own fucking podcast. Yeah, you know, I still watch... Translate. I still watch the whole thing, even though I was disinterested. Well, just listening to him talk is fascinating. Yeah. I like this video format for Smash reveals way better than anything else they've done. Because it's a lot more, like, personal. And Sakurai gets to, like, talk about his love of video games, which I think is the most important thing about Smash. Smash is a fighting game. Smash is a party game. But it's also a big fucking celebration of video games as yeah. a whole. 
and it's really awesome to to sit basically sit down with this man, just gush about his favorite games, and now he gets to put them those characters in his game. It is great. Yeah. Like goddamn, the presentation about Terry was awesome. He was so happy. It was so fucking cool. <laughs> this reminded me of that one. Because oh, yeah. you could tell he was really passionate about the character in the series that he was presenting. Right. So, I can, you know, my initial anger has subsided. I can appreciate Fire Emblem fans saying Ho's mad on Twitter a bunch. It's fine, whatever. You got your character. But I think from a standpoint of the possibilities that Smash can bring, I, I just personally feel it's a slightly boring choice to have just... Your eighth representative from a series, yeah, come here. Like I would probably be equally as disappointed if it was another Mario or Zelda rep too. Honestly, I I would care more because I like those series and I actively play them. But this led me to temper my expectations with season two here, and I'll tell you what I think. Uh, my my current theory for how they're going to handle it is if you include Piranha Plant with those five DLC characters that yeah. we got, that means there's six, and there's six in pack two, right? Right. Bookended by Nintendo characters. Piranha Plant and... What's the Fire Emblem Byleth. character? Byleth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's actually going to be how they do season two. So you think the next one's going to be a Nintendo character? Yes. And then, and then everyone's going to lose their shit. And act like this is like, oh, they're all going to be Nintendo characters. There's not going to be any cool ones. And then the Fighter 2 or 7, I guess, technically, yeah. will probably be someone crazy. And then everyone will lose their shit. Yeah. I think that's how he's going to structure it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. These And it also looks like these releases are going to be a lot more staggered now. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be at that deadline. But they in the little when they announced the package, the little bottom text... Nice bottom text meme. Uh-huh. Uh, it said that all the characters will be out, be out by the end of 2021. Yeah, that's a long time. Now. I'm hoping it doesn't take that long for all these characters to come out. Yeah, I think it'll it'll definitely be more spread out than it's been. Like, you're not going to get one every three months. You're probably going to get one every four or five months. And that's going to be okay. Because it keeps Smash alive. And that's fun. I mean, Smash will live on its own anyway, but it keeps, like, the hype for it going, and it's like a never-ending hype train we're hopping on with good old Masahiro Sakurai, and yeah. it's fun. And I enjoy the hell out of it. I mean, I love Smash very much, and so much so that I play it competitively. And th this character looks cool. I enjoy that my biggest complaint about Fire Emblem characters in Smash Brothers is that there was no representation of the other weapon types in that game. Which are just as important as all the fucking swords. Well, this one seems to kind of covers all the bases. Do that, which is a cool twist. Yeah, I so appreciate like, that. Yeah, so the attacks switch between all of the different uh, weapon types in the game, which is super cool, and I like that way more than like Crom. Who I, I like Crom as a character in Fire Emblem Awakening a lot, but he's also just like another sword guy. Yeah, it was it was weird that they included him at all. He's an Echo fighter. So yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things where, like, you'd either get him or you weren't getting anything at all anyway. Uh-huh. He's just, like, a weird mashup between Ike and Roy. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. I don't care. I actually like Krom a lot. Me too. To play as. Um, He's fun. He hits hard. He hits like a fucking truck. So if we had to make any predictions, 
you know, Sakurai said these are all set in stone as of right now, so there's no new games that are going to interrupt this cycle. You know, like Three Houses came out while Smash was coming out, so they right. probably put the plans in place to get that out way back. Oh, yeah, probably. I'm guessing a Pokemon rep is next, if we're bookending it with Nintendo characters. Yeah, I think characters. probably one of the new Pokemon. Yeah. I don't know which one, though. It'll be interesting. Maybe uh, Nah, it's not going to be a Firestarter again. You don't think so? Uh, they just did Incineroar. I don't know. I, it's just a prediction that we'll get a Pokemon. I think the other two starters would be hard to do in Pokemon. It doesn't have to be a starter, necessarily. That's, true. That's also true. It could be, like, whatever the fuck... They should put. They should fucking go wild and put Sword Dog in it. <laughs> Zassian. It's too big. But big. then again, Ridley was too. Right. Um. I mean, I don't know. I think th- there's a chance that they go classic, and it's actually like a more classic character. Um. I don't know what necessarily, but we'll see. As uh, far as Pokemon go, like it doesn't have to be next gen necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I'd be. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with anything. Give me whatever the fuck, really. Waluigi. Oh, dude. Is it time? Now, he's a trophy. I still think Waluigi's not going to happen, but, like... No. If they wanted to, like, semi-appease weird people, then I guess they could put Waluigi in. Speaking of, like, the predictions and how it lined up with this announcement today, one of my predictions was eventually Cuphead would get added, and I guess he did in a roundabout way. He's one of the new Mii Fighter costumes. Sans and Cuphead are in Smash, It's fucking great. Um... I'd play as it. It actually looks quite good. Yeah, uh, they did a really good job of like putting that into the game. Well, he he does the finger snap shooty. It doesn't yeah. just look like a weird cannon on his arm. Right. That doesn't make sense. Like it actually looks like Cuphead completely. Yeah. They did a really good job with that. Similar yeah. to the Sans one. Sans looks actually like Sans. Right. They did a great job. Yeah. And it has. Did you get the fucking music? Which yeah, I'm, that's also which awesome. I'm gonna play on. Like when I go to fucking tournaments and somebody has that shit bought, I'm just gonna put that song on. And then play. Hell yeah, dude. Because goddamn. Well, same with that Megalovania remix, too. Like, oh, I hope so that good. he continues to do crazy shit like that. Because, like, hey, you might not be getting this character, but at least you can get something cool. They're also a really reasonable price, too. They're fucking 75 cents. Yeah, that's pretty per, good. Per me costume. And, like, they're really well-done costumes, too. They're not just, like, some basic thrown-together shit. Like, it's it's clear that they put, like, some, a lot of care into these costumes, which is great. And there's some really adult left-field shit, too, like the fucking added Altair from Assassin's Creed. Do you know what was really weird? Uh, it was reported that, uh, so, like, for every, like, me costume, they had a big Smash Brothers X. Right. The franchise. That one just said Altair for some reason. Yeah, but in other countries, it apparently it, said Assassin's Creed. Right. Not in America. I don't really get the reasoning. Me neither. Um, I saw somebody float the possibility that it's because of the current uh, possible war that we are getting ourselves into. Mm. But I don't necessarily see all the connections on that one. Like yeah. Just the word assassin could mean a million different things. Like, right. Whatever. That's really strange. They're still going to release Assassin's Creed games here. They're not going to all of a sudden call it something else. Right. Um, but, you know, Nintendo could be weird about it. Who knows? Uh, who knows? Uh, so weird that all these franchises are getting reps. Rabbits? <laughs> Yeah, that, I could have saw that one coming. Really happy to see the Mega Man Battle Network stuff, too. It's a very underrepresented franchise in Mega Man's canon. Yeah. It's actually a really cool and unique game. Cool to see that, you know, Battle Network gets the nod, and you get to, get to use a costume in Smash. I like that a lot. It's good for them. Yeah. So do you uh, do you think Dante has a chance, actually? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think at any point during this, oh yeah, well we could get another Capcom rep easy. It could be Dante. It could be a Resident Evil character. It could be like I'm beginning to lean towards a Resident Evil character over Dante actually. Yeah. Because I think if Dante was gonna happen, it kind of would have in the first pack. Because of Devil May Cry Five. Yes. <laughs> I, and I don't think that's coming to the Switch either. No. Because it can't. No, it can't run on the Switch. Um, it's way too visually. They're they're, they're releasing three now, and there doesn't necessarily have to be some kind of coinciding release, but it does help. Like Three Houses came out in 2019. So then right around the corner was a Three Houses character. Right. Um, I think we're going to get possibly a Resident Evil character over Dante. I don't really have a whole lot of basis to think that, but I don't think they have any plans to bring 2 and 3 over somehow. But there is possibly plans of an upscaled Switch that I've seen floating around. Could maybe... Yeah, there's a rumor that that's coming out this year. That's kind of like for them to put something out against the other consoles coming out. I could see that. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like the next console. No, it'll be just like an upgrade. You're not going to see a whole lot of that anymore. It's going to take a long time for new consoles. No, to I'm out. into that. I'm so into that. I don't yeah. want to have to buy another fucking five hundred dollar box like every right five get. years. Yeah. Now it's like seven, eight before we get a new console. That's fine. Yeah, buy my me too. I got, got the PS5 coming up. I'm going to buy that. And that'll be nice. Upgrade a Switch will come out. I probably won't buy that, at least right away. Yeah, I, unless, you, another, unless it's needed, right. then why? If I want to buy another console, I'd rather just get the new Xbox. The Xbox? Yeah. <laughs> Good old Xbox, but they're not naming things I've, well. Oh, God. But yeah, Smash announcements were cool. Um... It's a little I lie, disappointing. I yeah. <laughs> a little disappointing com- compared to what the, where the hype was, but I guess that's our own fault. And not... Yeah, I'm not believing anyone ever again. <laughs> nah. I mean, nah. like, I don't know. You like, can't. it's it's kind of, like, entitled at this point to even be disappointed about Smash for me, because, like, I got one of my favorite characters from my childhood in the game without ever thinking it was a possibility in Banjo. So, yeah. like, you know... If they put a Resident Evil character in the game, I'm done. I just stick a fork in me. I'm not going to be alive. Dude, I got... I'll just die from hype. I got fucking Terry in there. That was... That's really cool. I was no, really he, close I to mean, my like, heart, dude. how much more can you ask for in a game with 80 characters in it? Dude, I don't know. Like, people being actually mad about it are kind of stupid. Yeah. And, like, I kind of realized that after I woke up a little bit and was like, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was mad at, like, 9 a.m. Right. <laughs> I was just kind of, like, sad, actually, more than mad. I was like, man... I want to see different representation, but the character looks cool. I'm, of course, going to play them when they come out. I mean, I have the Fighter's Pass anyway. I'm going to buy the next Fighter's Pass as well. Give me more Smash content all the time. Please, Daddy. I will take it. Yeah. Character looks cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm Anime titties, to... too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In two episodes mm-hmm. from now, the character will be mm-hmm. out, and I will report about the character like I usually do when new Smash characters come out. As I continue to try to main Terry at my local Smash tournament. And Can you okay. do it? Can you do it? Can you do what? Is it main Terry? Yeah. Oh, I've been maining Terry. Oh, cool. Uh, well, it's secondary. Like, I, I do... I switch between him and King DDD depending on matchup. So <laughs> Still trying to do DDD, huh? I win with DDD. I don't uh, fucking care. It's kind of cool. Nobody, like... I don't think a lot of people know how to play against DDD There's another... A second guy showed up at my local who plays King DDD. 
And I'm like Wild I walked up to him I was like One of us One of us <laughs> And there was a There was actually another guy Who played DDD before that But like that's like a secondary thing He made Zelda Yeah He okay. also played DDD on the side I remember me and him Would play in bracket We'd do the DDD mirror match Which is An absolute joy <laughs> Because you're just fucking Because at that point You don't give a fuck You're both big meaty boys so You're just throwing everything You got out And it's so much fun To see what the hell happens I'm trying to main Banjo uh, I have got a lot of practice with them, but I need. I, it's been a while since I played Smash at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I guess like you know, my main used to be Game and Watch, and I think there's a place in my heart always for that weird 2D whatever Game and Watch is. Game and Watch is <laughs> really fucking good in this game. Yeah, too. he's great. Um, he works a little differently than I'm used to. He's it's hard different. to get used yeah. to. It's a lot of like abusing up B stuff, and um, there's a there's a one of the best players in the world right now, Meister. Uh, plays Game & Watch, and he's really good, and it's fun to watch him play. This is cool shit. Smash is cool as fuck. Smash is in a really good place, despite, you know, Nintendo fans being the hurt. This is a hundred times better than I could have ever imagined, like, when Smash 4 was out and the DLC characters were coming out. Yeah. This is a hundred times more amazing than anything that could have happened during that time. And that is awesome, and I am so happy. And he, like I said, despite me even being a little disappointed by this character announcement, I can't be pissed. Like, goddamn, this Smash, the Smash Ultimate has been a blessing of a video game. It's so much, it's so much fun to play, both casually and competitively. It's got such a ridiculous cast of characters. It has Terry Bogard in it. <laughs> it is pretty weird. It makes me happy. Yeah. I can fucking, I can. Jab jab power dunk a motherfucker, and it feels so good. I love it. Well, still seeing if they introduce Mister Clean. <laughs> let's let's get it. We'll see. Yeah, we have a broom. Oh fuck, another sword character. <laughs> Why does he have a sword? I yeah, think he have a broom. No, I was doing a callback because we discussed this a long time ago. Oh yeah, when, we, when I told you to do like the we had to come up with a characters. brand, and I said Mister Clean and. I said his neutral B was he drinks Mr. Clean, and then now he is clean. <laughs> it's like a healing thing. <laughs> That's right, I did Ronald McDonald. Oh, man, just play Mugen, I guess. <laughs> what are yeah, you right. doing? That's Which what Smash is. basically is at this point. Almost. <laughs> All you need to do is add, like, Sonic and Ryu and Mario and Terry Bogard and Banjo-Kazooie. And a billion Fire Emblem characters are all in the same game. It's all, really weird. All I need to do is have, like, a big portrait of Miles Edgeworth. <laughs> he just, like, around. He just points and flicks his yeah. knuckles. Yeah. Good. Uh, that's my pick for the next DLC character. Miles Edgeworth? Yeah, but not, like, as a sprite. Like, as, like, like a, just a big, big cutout Miles Edgeworth. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or Omega Tiger Woods. Oh, yeah. Let's go. His smile is the Nike swoosh. What a meme. <laughs> it is so terrifying. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to again. And Jub Show. That's Gen. Hey, how's it going, Gen? I'm Jub. Today, 
we're going to talk about movies, and then we're going to talk about a movie, and then we're going to die. <laughs> Why well, don't spoil the ending? Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, we watched another Batman film in the never-ending Batman film series. Well, I guess we're not watching the um, Batman film next week. Oh, you, we are. Oh, we are. We're watching two more Batman films, and then a non-Batman film. Yeah, the schedule will be Batman Forever next week. Yeah. Then Batman and Robin for our milestone 69th episode. Nice. <laughs> and then Catwoman for 70th, which is uh, oof. Worse. <laughs> yeah. Worse. Somehow than Batman I'm predicting that these will all be below our current rankings. <laughs> I think all three of them will, yeah. In, in the order... Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and then Catwoman. Yeah, probably. And then Catwoman will probably stay at the bottom, if I had to guess. I haven't heard anything positive about that movie in my entire time being alive since its release. Mm-hmm. So, Same. I've be that as it. it I've only seen the basketball scene, and I'm looking forward to watching I it. I have not even seen that. You don't even know what it is? Uh-uh. Where uh, You're in for a treat, question mark? <laughs> but anyway... Fuck that. We watched Mask of the Phantasm, which is an excellent Batman movie. Oh, yeah. I think it's my new favorite of the four. I've obviously seen it before, and I was considering that that would probably be the case, but upon a rewatch, I think it definitely is for me. I watched it just about a decade ago before we watched it last night, and man, about <laughs> as good as I remember it. A couple flaws I didn't pick up on until now, but we'll get there. That's for the, fine for the time being. I don't think it's anything major. No, it can't it's be not. It's major. all minor. And all my quit, all my complaints about the movie are so fucking minor. It doesn't matter. I do have one, but we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for now, we're gonna do more movie stuff. Except we're gonna talk about our favorite movies of the decade of the of the two twenty tens. Right. We're in the twenty twenties now. We're in the twenties. Hey. My favorite films I've seen in the twenty twenties. Nineteen seventeen. That's it. That's technically a 2019 film. I watched it in 2020. Sure, I got you. I put, I, you know, hey. So that's why I specifically Spoiler said. alert, it's in the list for last decade. Right. It wouldn't crack my top <laughs> it made 10, it. so I'm not going to. I only have a top. As usual, Genhart has an obnoxiously large list, and I have <laughs> I 10. do, Justin. I have a really big list that's bigger than even what I'm about to say. Right. Um, I want to do something fun, really brief. I want to go over... I put everything to tears. Yeah. I sorted out literally every single movie I've seen that came out between 2010 and 2019. Mind you, I haven't seen every single movie in the history of film. Right. So, you know, if your fave's not on here, even if it's from this year, like I didn't see The Irishman yet. Yeah. I haven't seen Parasite yet. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, You know... I haven't seen uh, a lot of things. Lighthouse? I haven't seen Lighthouse. I need to see I haven't Lighthouse. seen Midsummer. And see Midsummer uh, too. considering Hereditary, I bet Midsummer would have been on there too. Yeah, probably. But we we are we, we do what we do. I don't know. We'll figure it out. There's too we many do, movies on here anyway. We Batman movies instead. Dude, none of them have been shitty so far. Yeah. They will be oh, yeah, pretty very, soon. Very soon. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I want to do briefly before we get into uh, my list and your list. Uh, I want to say what on what's on my F tier real quick. Okay, go ahead. And then I'm going to say A tier, which is going to be like honorable mentions. I'm just going to go through them. I'm okay. not going to even say anything about them. Okay. 
Then we'll get to my S tier, which is my top 50. Just worked out that way. It's kind of interesting. Oh, you just, it just 50 movies fit in there? It's fun. <laughs> when I slotted 1917 in, it worked out that way perfectly. There's 50 movies in my S rank. Oh, fun. Spoiler, 1917's in my S rank. It was a good movie. It's a great movie. We'll talk about it when we get there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably more than some of the others because we it's just saw it. Yeah. Um, all right. So in descending order in terms of terribleness, yeah. this is my F tier. These are the worst movies I saw in the decade. That came out this decade. Right. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Green Lantern. Ooh. Drive Angry. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, a film that wasn't here until recently because we watched it on the fucking Gen and Jub show. A Good Day to Die Hard. Cracked the bottom of the list. Uh, also, a movie we watched semi-recently, Terminator Genesis. Cracked the list. <laughs> this made me realize how many terrible things we've seen. <laughs> now, thankfully, uh, the, those Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies aren't... Uh, in this decade. So get them out of here. Abduction. Do you remember what that movie is? No, I don't. Good. Uh, Transformers Dark of the Moon. The only reason there's only one Transformers movie on here is this is where I tapped out on that franchise and yeah. didn't come back. No, same. Didn't watch the Mark Wahlberg ones. This one was worse enough for me. Why would you? Uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. This is the second one. It bad. Fun fact: We took him. We took Genhart to see that for his birthday. Yeah, yes. I was. Uh, oof! You asked for it. Well, I was under the impression because I, I'm I was a big fan of Nicolas Cage, and I still am now. That it was going to be fun schlock, Nicolas Cage, and then it wasn't. It was just boring. Fantastic Four. The biggest comic book movie oof of the decade. <laughs> uh, Scary Movie 5. <sighs> Fuck parody movies in general this decade. I don't think I watched any past like the third one. I've seen them all. That is unfortunate. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the Last Airbender. Who? <sighs> I refused to go to that movie until my friend paid for it. Cheapy theater, second run theater. Yeah. Speaking of second run theater, I saw this movie there. Even then, I refused to pay for it. My friend paid for it. <laughs> Dylan Dog, Dead of Night, which I saw at a second run theater for a dollar, and I wish like it's really hard for me to say that a dollar was a waste of money. But it was. But it was. <laughs> um, and the worst film of the decade, I think, it has to be Food Fight. I agree. Um, I don't think there's anything else that comes close. Food Fight is a drastic failure on multiple levels. It is atrocious to look at. It's a nightmare of a film. Uh, I recommend not watching it at all. Just watch somebody on the internet review it so you see all the funny bits and most, weird shit in it. Because yeah, most of the time it's just a, a terrible nightmare. It's a terrible nightmare all the way through. Um... So yeah, fuck movies. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> let's uh, let's go to the goodens. Uh, I'm gonna go in ascending order and just go through these really quick. This is a tier, so these are things that I think are like an eight or nine out of ten. Okay. Recommend all these movies. Great movies, but we're just gonna go through them real quick. Okay. Krampus, a most wanted man, 
Red State, The Shallows, Lincoln, The Big Short, 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street, (laughs) How to Train Your Dragon 2, Captain America Civil War, Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods, Looper, Moneyball, Zero Dark Thirty, (laughs) Swiss Army Man, Annihilation, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, X-Men First Class, X-Men Days of Future Past, Kingsman the Secret Service, The Adventures of Tintin, Chronicle, Shazam, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Parts 1 and 2, Deadpool 2, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Halloween of the 2018 variety, (laughs) American Hustle, Don John, This is the End, Jackass 3D, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Disaster Artist, Dope, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie, yeah. Black Panther, Spider-Man Homecoming, Deadpool, Thor Ragnarok, Spider-Man Far From Home, The Nice Guys, A Quiet Place, Joker, Justin's favorite film of the decade, Nope. <laughs> it Follows, Skyfall, Inception, All Is Lost, Iron Man, The Raid 2, Headhunters, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and just outside of that top 50, and it hurts to not put it in there, Bone Tomahawk. That's a good-ass movie. That's a great movie. Those are all good movies. Uh... I like how diverse that list is. There's comic book of- movies. There's movies where Steve-O bungee jumps in a porta potty, uh, and then there's art- artsy stuff, <laughs> but like Steve-O jumping in a porta potty. Pure like, art, like whatever the fuck's going on in Tim and Eric's movie. That also has a scene with shit in it, yeah, it and does. it is horrifying. It's terrible. That movie is like a horror movie <laughs> at times, but boy, is it funny. Oh, it's hilarious. So. Jusby, lay on me your top ten. Yes. We'll try to keep both of our lists brief. I'll have, I'll try harder, because mine's 50. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine'll be pretty brief. I'm Funny enough, as we do a podcast about movies a lot, mm-hmm. something I actually enjoy doing with this podcast is I don't watch a lot of movies, actually. Um, I spend most of my time, free time, playing video games. And, like... I'll, so usually I only watch... Your time to shine will be next week when we do video games of right. the decade. There's a lot for me to talk about there. Yeah. And I'll probably be taking up most of the audio time, and that time where Genhart's taking a lot in the movies one. And I'll still have stuff to say. I don't shut up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm, I'm, I'm an obnoxious, uh, stupid ass. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't agree immediately. <laughs> God. But either way, a movie really catches my attention. I watch it, and then most of the time I enjoy it. And sometimes I don't like the Disney Star Wars movies. Wow. But Surprisingly, anyway. none of those are in my top 50. Wow. Also, fun fact. Remember Texas Chainsaw 3D? Mm-hmm. I ranked that right above the new Star Wars movie. I would, too. <laughs> I had a lot more fun watching that. I can't, I can't deny that that's a fact. <laughs> so... Here's my top ten films of the decade. It's a, it's a little fun and diverse. Uh, number ten, uh, a film that missed Genhart's top fifty, The Big Short. A movie, so... Doesn't mean I don't like it. I have a little fun fact. I don't think I'd talk about it that much on this podcast. I have a big affinity for film editing. 
the one thing I do love about movies is how they're edited and how they're put together. And um, I, at one point in my life, I was an aspiring film editor. So, watching that movie was really fucking cool the way it's made. And the way it does, the way it does its cuts and the way it's edited is incredibly impressive. And plus, it's really fun and crazy. Great movie. I recommend it to anybody. With everything on this list. I would too. Number nine is It Follows. Which is... That's also outside of my top 50, but it's good? Or no, maybe it's not. I don't remember. You didn't say... I don't think you mentioned it. But... I will spoil for you in a second. It is... It's right outside. Right outside? Yeah. It is one of the more eerie and really crazy horror movies I've seen in a while. Its soundtrack is a banger. Really cool, like, synth weirdness. The soundtrack for that movie is the star of that movie yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. Because it's it's about like a unseen abomination just which is the camera chasing people and like that's fun. Naked old man on a roof. Oh yeah. Yikes. <laughs> There's some yike in that movie. It's fun. It's a really really good tense horror movie with a banging soundtrack. Another movie with a banging soundtrack is Drive. Um a movie where the gossy doesn't doesn't do much with his face, but does a lot with his hands. It's fun. Spoiler: Drive is in my top fifty. Wow. We'll find out where in a bit. Number seven is the girl with the dragon tattoo. Spoiler: That's in my top fifty. Yeah, so we got a lot of a lot of similarities here. There's, it's gonna be hard to not. Right. Because there's just some great fucking movies like that one, which is uh has a big old. And if it was released today, I would recommend that they put a big old trigger warning at the front of that movie. Oh, God, yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a very uh, very graphic scene in it. But and You could read the rating, rated R for, here's a list of fucked up things in this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of fucked up stuff happens, but it's uh, it still ends up being weirdly triumphant in its own way. And also continues to spiral into way more fucked up shit as the movie goes on. It's a good watch. Number six is... Uh, an anime movie, because I like those a lot sometimes. A Silent Voice, which is probably, as far as, like, movies that made me feel something besides one other one, movie tugged at my tugged at my heartstrings quite a lot. It is a very emotional, emotionally difficult movie at times about uh, the effects of bullying people, and especially bullying disabled people. And it hits it hits hard sometimes. But also the psyche of people that do the bullying yeah. can maybe be complex because they're victims in and of themselves. Right. And uh, that's a fascinating movie. That's in my top fifty as well. Yeah. Loved it. It's fantastic. Made me feel things. Yeah, it's very complex emotionally. It's mm-hmm. fucking super heartfelt and super well done. Oh, uh, the animation. Uh, I beautiful. love all the characters. I love the animation. I love everything about that movie. It's a beautiful piece of art. Please find it and watch it if you can. It came out the same year as that body swap movie that I didn't like that much. and That's a good movie. I don't like it that much. It's a fine film. It's okay. Um, I, I think, I think this overhyped. is superior to it in raw emotion, actually. I think it's superior to it in many ways. I don't know. I have to forget what that other movie's fucking called. Your Name. Your Name. That's it. Yeah, see, I didn't like it that much. So I don't fucking... I don't know. It's a good movie. It's, it's fine enough. I think it... I think compared to something like a silent voice, it lacks a little bit of a soul sometimes. And, I don't know, that's just me. Number five is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
another animated movie. There's a few of these on this list. My my, uh, my list is dominated by them high up. Hey, man. Spider-Man people, is on mine as well. In the last in the last decade, people made some fucking great animated movies. It's impressive. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse is incredibly impressive with its literal comic book come-to-life visual style. It's the closest than, anyone's gotten to this yeah, ever. It's, it's the best anyone's ever done with it. A really, really, like, good and heartfelt story about, like, overcoming your, your problems and, like, achieving your destiny. It's immensely relatable. Yeah. Um, cool. what, a, what a great choice to have your main character be a very well-rounded, um, cool and relatable character. Yeah. Especially for kids to watch the oh, movie. Dude, Miles Morales You know, is I awesome. did just talk about this a little bit regarding mm-hmm. Ray from Star Wars. Yeah. And, and Poe from Kung Fu Panda. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think this can also apply here. This is a example of what to do correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie's god tier to me. Yeah, you've got some amazing, amazing people doing amazing voice work for all the fucking wild-ass Spider-Men that are in this movie. And some amazing people doing some incredible animation. Yeah. Despite the fact that uh, earlier in the year they worked on the Emoji movie. That's fucking wild, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't... Well, you know, it hey, just man, goes to show. Get your bag. <laughs> I, I'm not going to complain about how you get your Secure the bag. <laughs> I'm sure they got paid a lot of fucking movie, money to animate the Emoji movie. I guarantee you they made a lot of money doing I it. Probably enough money to help fund Into the Spider-Verse. don't Spider-Rex. think they made nearly enough, probably. Yeah. Because would, animators... Right. But... Oh well, at least Spider Verse is getting a sequel, and they can make a you know good movie next. It actually did well in the box office, so that's good. Uh, eventually, it was more of a hit on Netflix, yeah, and uh, that's where it really found its audience. You tend to see a lot of these kind of movies do, and that, that's kind of where we're at now. Sequel's going to be a hit. I'm calling it now. Oh, absolutely. I think enough people have seen it now that it's like a cultural moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people who don't even like are like big fans of Spider Man love that movie because just how well made it is and how like heartfelt it is. Yeah, as much as I like the uh, MCU Spider-Man movies, this is the best anyone's done with the character, hands down. I think so. In a yeah. movie, I mean. I think so. Number three, um, I'm sorry, number four, I skipped number four, is uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. A uh, big old Edgar Wright jam, um, taking one of my favorite graphic novels that I've read in a very long time, back in the day, that I loved it in high school. Loved it so much that when I was doing Photoshop work for a class, I was like colorizing the novels. And they were only in black and white, and then color editions came out, and I was like, "Huh." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you printed out a uh, a page for me that yeah. you colored, where uh, Scott Pilgrim goes to work, mm-hmm. and like just stares menacingly at the building, <laughs> and it just says "work" really big, and then it says "a million hours later," he's leaving. Yeah, I appreciated that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That was a lot of fun to do. I love Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> and this movie embodies a lot of what makes it what makes Scott Pilgrim great but then adds Edgar Wright's flair on top of it that fast paced like quick cut type of cinematography which is perfect for Scott Pilgrim yeah and it's not a it's not a perfect movie by any means but it's a lot of fun I had a blast I, watching I, it. I, you know, it, I think it says a lot about Edgar Wright that that's not his best movie. But, no. like, for another director, it probably easily would be. Yeah. Um, I have... I, I think Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz are better. Yeah, But, definitely. um... I mean, I... Those didn't come out this decade, so I didn't give him a shout-out on the list or anything. Right, but yeah. yeah. You'll definitely. probably see Edgar Wright a couple times. 
I'm sure because he's an amazing director. Um, number three, we're shifting to a couple action movies here. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, which uh, it, um, I think objectively... If that's not in your top 50, you're objectively incorrect. Right. I, <laughs> I think objectively it's probably the best action movie that's come out like ever. You know, probably. like It's, it's up there with the all-time greats. Right. Like your Terminator 2, your Die Hard... Like honestly, it's the, the the way that movie's made is so fucking wild. It's so perfectly paced. The action is eccentric, wild, fast paced, and excellent. But then the movie it does a really good job of getting to some somber moments of great character development. Something that um, Mad Max in the past had some problems with. This one just knocks it out of the park. And it does it. It does it in, like, a minimalist way, too. Yeah. Like, it's really interesting how much raw emotion and, like, actual good acting are packed into this really quirky genre film. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very impressive and a great watch. I loved every second of it from the very start to the very finish. I was in. I was already a Mad Max fan when I watched it, and I actually watched it for the first time long after it came out in theaters. Yeah. I didn't get to go see it in the theater, and that makes me kind of sad, because I wish I could have. I did, and I was so happy. That was my first Mad Max film I ever saw, too. Oh, damn, good one um, to start with, the best one. Well, I mean, it, it made all the other ones look like shit by comparison, not that they're bad. I'm just saying that, they're like, that's, like, they're, that's the pinnacle yeah, the of problem that with man's Mad Max, career. Yeah, the problem with Mad Max George now is, like, they're, they're definitely a product of their time. <laughs> Yeah, they're dated. But, yeah. like, you know, dated isn't necessarily bad. Maybe we'll watch those sometime on the Gen and Job. I'm sure we'll okay. throw it on the That'd wheel That'd be a quick, like, point. what, four movie set? Well, maybe we'll replace Batman with it once we're done. Because, be okay like, God damn it, I don't know if I want to do another 17 film run. I'd be okay. Right after doing a 17 film run. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I love that movie. Number two is an action movie that I personally enjoy more. And, it's my, in my opinion, is my favorite action movie ever made. Is The Raid Redemption. Yeah. A... Yeah, it's a glorious film. Blood-pumping, fucking pulpy, and... Mm, pulpy. Yeah, it's very pulpy. <laughs> and just fast-paced martial arts movie, but kind of combined with things that feel like it's straight out of a video game, where you have... You have this guy... Climbing up this building and just getting the worst shit happening to him on every single floor. And him being able to overcome it and escape with his brother who is in with bad guys. Yes. Now, I'm not, I don't want to give like a bunch of the movie away for people who haven't seen it because I know there's a lot of people that haven't seen The Raid Redemption. And I think a lot more people need to see it. It is incredibly well made. The fight choreography, oh my fucking god. The best fight choreography I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, probably. Period. Bar none. Some of the shit that they pull off is fucking nuts. And makes you, like, grab your head with your hands and go, what? <laughs> Multiple times. The first time I finished watching that movie, my adrenaline was pumping so hard that I just got up and kicked a chair over. <laughs> nah, that's fair. I can't blame you necessarily. Gets, that movie gets the blood pumping. And there's some grotesque shit that happens that fits, but it fits in really well with the theme and the action of the film. It's really cool, and I love it to death. That being said, number one on my list is what is, in my opinion, 
the greatest animated film ever made, and I could, I could literally write like a forty-page essay on it. Food fight. The wind rises. Oh, okay. Damn, I was close. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling you were gonna say that because uh, you know I watched that movie wholeheartedly on like you and your brother's recommendation. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I know Miyazaki is a master. Yeah, Hayao Miyazaki is a absolute master in animation. Like, well, I'd, I'd like putting together these animated movies and directing them, and then paired with Studio Ghibli, who is probably the best at animating films. Out of maybe Pixar is a close competitor. So you you get wonderfully directed movies paired with brilliantly gorgeous animation. Now, what makes The Wind Rises special is that it's basically Miyazaki's magnum opus. It is the culmination of this man's incredibly storied career, an end cap to it, and a movie that tells a, a a beautiful and mostly true story about the man who invented the Japanese bomber. It is really heart-wrenching at times. At other times, it's triumphant, it's whimsical, it's somber. It takes you through all of the emotions, hits you with them really hard, and then also looks gorgeous while it's at it. Some of the best animation that Studio Ghibli has ever done on this film. I agree 100%. Uh, it's probably on mine, guys. Who who would have guessed? Ooh, ooh, it, it's so good. It's such a gorgeously made movie. Also, shout out to it probably having the best dub I've ever heard. Oh, my God. Brilliant acting from Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, John Krasinski, Werner Horzog's in that movie. Yeah, the fuck? Uh, fucking loved it, loved it, loved it. Beautiful, but tragic. Yeah, very tragic. Film. Movie. In any medium. Mm-hmm. But animation made it pop just that much more. Yeah. Which uh, happens. That story, I think, couldn't have been told in a live-action movie as well as it did in that style of animation specifically. Yeah. It was a perfect storm and the perfect man directing it, the perfect studio animating it. <coughs> Makes the perfect yeah. movie. Now he has one more movie coming out. I hate uh, it. I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm not. You get another Miyazaki. But there has to be a reason. I, I hope so. That he would come back and make another movie. Because like this was like his mic drop moment, where he put this movie out and he's like, "I'm retiring," and my god. Because there's a lot of the thing that makes The Wind Rises incredibly special to me too. Um, I got introduced to like anime as a whole through Hayao Miyazaki and um, Princess Mononoke. A, movie, a film from the 90s that is fucking excellent. Yes. And probably way too graphic for the age that I watched it at. <laughs> and I fell in love with it from there. And then, you know, I eventually watched every single film that man has ever made. And watching everything he's made and then going into The Wind Rises, which is on its own, is already a fantastic movie. But there's so many elements of, like, in that story and like what like what happens in it and that person's motivations Miyazaki's motivations where he gets his love for certain things in his films come from this and him being able to tell that story 
and his and his and Miyazaki's love, personal love for aviation, like being poured into that film, and also being shown in his other films as well. If you notice, there's a lot of references to aviation in like all of his films because it was a big passion of his growing up, and you know, it was just it was just ended up being perfect. And the perfect thing for him to cap his career with. So whatever he's fucking coming back for better be goddamn good. I want to be pissed. <laughs> anyway, I'm done. Somehow I think it will probably be pretty good. <laughs> I hope if so. If it's not as good as The Wind Rises, but it's still pretty good, I can't complain one bit. Yeah, I guess. All right. <laughs> All right. So I'm my sorry, top I 50. A long time. That's a lot of movies. Yeah. Let's get through them yeah. as quick I'm as we sure can. I'm sure most of them you're just going to rattle them off. Uh, at least the first several. I'll say a brief thing about him. Maybe you can say something if you want to. Yeah, depending on what Chime in when you want to. Number 50, Edgar Wright's The World's End, capping off his ice cream and uh, violence trilogy, yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, it, it's the worst of the three. Yeah, but, but that it's still good. doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, it's still excellent. I really appreciated the role reversal that Simon Pegg and Nick Frost pull off with this movie yeah. where like Simon Pegg's playing the idiot asshole yeah. and Nick Frost is playing the more intelligent character and they still feel like the right men for the part. Yeah. Uh, brilliantly structured, brilliantly written as always yeah. from Edgar Wright. Right. Uh, 49, 48 and 47 are all from the same series. I know this is weird. Okay. But in ascending order, John Wick, John Wick chapter two, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. Okay. I think this is a series that gets better with each installment. Mm -hmm. um, you can maybe say that the first John Wick is the most pure with its kind of easy to understand, simple focused revenge plot. But I think the scope of the world and as it expands is really interesting to me as the John Wick movies continue. And also the main thing you're coming to John Wick for isn't necessarily the story. Let's be real. It's to see John Wick murk some fools. Right. And uh, that gets progressively better and more impressive with each installment in the series. I love all three of those movies, and I hope they make a million more. I hope it gets as ridiculous as Fast and Furious and they go to space. I don't I don't really care. <laughs> I, like, the possibilities are endless. I'm so happy for Keanu Reeves that he's being taken a little more seriously than he was, you know, in, in his earlier stages of his career. I love He got memed on hard after those Matrix sequels, man, and I don't think he deserved it one bit. No, I don't think so either. It wasn't his fault. No, it was. Um, <laughs> we know. We know whose fault it was. Keanu Reeves is very clearly a good man. I'm happy to see that he's gotten his just desserts. He's gotten everything that that he needed to finally become the star that he always should have been. He is absolutely loved by the internet now, and I cannot help but love that. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to part four. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 46, Fox Catcher, mm. starring Steve Carell, Channing Tatum, Mark Ruffalo, three of the best modern actors, in my opinion, yep. uh, all pulling off tremendous work, but particularly Carell, who completely transforms into a nearly unrecognizable character. Uh, this movie's a bit fucked up. I loved it. Really intense character study. Number 45, Dallas Buyers Club. I have a couple problems with this movie, but it's still pretty phenomenal. Yeah. McConaughey deserved the Oscar that he got. Absolutely. Uh, 
great movie, important movie, couple missteps. Uh, but that being said, still really great. Yeah. Still really important. Number 44, Argo. Ooh, ben man. Affleck is a better director than an actor, but when he's in his own films, he still acts pretty well. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's necessarily a bad actor, no. but I think actually his calling may be directing overacting. I think so too. Uh, this is a great little movie based on a true fucked up thing that happened where to get some political hostages out, they pretended to make a bad Star Wars ripoff and <laughs> didn't get them out under those pretenses. Uh, and Argo is great. It's inspiring. And it's a whole lot of, I don't know if fun's the right word, but honestly, yeah, kind of. It's fun to see it all come together. 43, a movie that I think has oddly been forgotten by history, uh, which is kind of interesting given the plot of the movie, The Artist, a mm. stylistic silent film in this current decade that has a meta-narrative about the death of silent film and the birth of uh, the talkie. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't even remember the guy's name. That was the lead in the artist, but he won Best Actor that year and then has done next to nothing since. And I think it's kind of a crime because he's amazing in this movie. Uh, without any dialogue, everything works really well still. Yeah. This works as such a good callback to silent films. <sighs> with with a modern lens, it still takes its cues from modern film as well. Yeah, I but think it's a really nice love letter. And reminds like, me a lot of Chaplin-esque right. stuff. It's amazing. And uh, the moments where there is sound yeah. are fucking nuts. Also catches you by surprise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking uh, crazy. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of like, uh, you ever see Mel Brooks's silent movie? Uh-huh. That's another good meta <laughs> silent film. Yes. There's a, there's a word said in that. By a mime. Yep. It's so good. <laughs> the only person to talk in that movie is a is is a mime. <laughs> kind of genius. Yeah, it's brilliant. All right, number forty-two, Moonlight. Oh. One of the most important movies of this decade. I think so. It won the Oscar, not La La Land. You may remember that snafu, <laughs> but uh, it deserved it over La La Land for sure. For black men, for gay men, this movie's gotta be incredibly important to see yeah. win best picture i wish that snafu didn't happen because this deserved the limelight as much as it possibly could have because this is quite an achievement in the modern decade to see all this recognition it's also for something like this it's also really fucking well made it's extremely well made um and extremely well acted it's kind of like a three act kind mm -hmm. of structure with different time periods for each one and different actors um Extremely well done. Moonlight's amazing. Check it out. Number 41, Creed 2, which we watched for this fucking show. Uh, you know, a sequel to Rocky 4 should probably not be in anyone's top 50. But they pulled it off by taking plot threads from Rocky 4 and turning them into gold. And I don't know how you do that. That's incredibly impressive. Really competent filmmaking. That's how you do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, Creed 2 is not as good as Creed 1, but it's still quite amazing. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone knocks it out of the park. Michael B. Jordan knocks it out of the park. And even Ivan Drago himself 
<laughs> knock it out of the park. The acting is great in that movie, mm-hmm. and the storytelling is great as well. It's a better Rocky Three than Rocky Three, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. Um, it does have a very similar plot to that. Um, by the way, I did say Creed is better than that. We'll get to that in a bit. Number 40, 1917. Uh, yes, maybe right. it'll get higher the more I think about it. Maybe on a rewatch. But right now I'm feeling that it's about here. 1917 is fantastic. We just saw it yep, just last week. Ago. Maybe just a few days ago. It was uh, two days ago, actually, we saw it. I'm just saying last week by the time people listen to this. Yeah, good point. Yeah. It is... Talk about editing and the big editing boner that I get. <sighs> This movie does a very fantastic job at at hiding the fact that it's not a movie done in one shot. It but it sure fucking looks like it is. It looks exactly like it's a movie done in one shot. It's fucking incredible. I watched... Uh, the thing that turned me on to this movie, and by the way, it would have completely flown underneath mine, yours, and probably all of our friends' radar if I didn't see this fucking thing. It was this mini-doc that I found on Facebook of all places that showed a little making of this movie... And in nowhere in any of the fucking advertisements for this film does anybody say that it's, like, a one-shot. I feel like that's kind of important. It's very important. People who like movies and they hear that, that they pull that off, it's going to line up to see this shit. Because they want to see that kind of technical prowess in filmmaking. And there it is. It's, it's there in this movie. It's the best job that anyone's ever done of this kind of film. I mean, it's only been done a few times, and like, it, it kind of stems from something like Rope, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. I saw that out. last week as well. Rope Great. is excellent. Great movie. Does but a I'll tell you what. I tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell well, Susan on somebody's shirt. You know, and, like, we, we they didn't even have fucking, you know, the length of time that you could have a shot long enough to sustain an entire film back then. Right. So, honestly, a lot of that is technically necessary for them to cut. Right. Like, I think you could only have a camera running for, like, seven minutes when they were making that movie. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's cuts. <laughs> what do you want? It's yeah. impressive that they did it at all. Right. Um, but, yeah, 1917 is probably the most technically incredible attempt at that that's ever been made. Yeah. And it, it's, it's fucking gorgeous to look at, even though it's about, like, a really, truly tragic and fucked up period of American history. Right. World War One. Well, history. It's not, yeah. I'm not American. I don't no, know why I said American. Whole, yeah. Decidedly British. The First World War, which was one of the more gruesome events in the entire history of the human race, um, especially for how that warfare was conducted in trenches. Um, it, it, and it was with the lack of technology, um, a lot of people died very grotesquely. Yeah, I saw Mendes, uh, the director, talk about it a bit, and he said it was really interesting because you start World War One and it's like still fighting with horses. Yeah. And by the end of the war, there's tanks. Right. And that's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. That's that's the literal advancement of technology changed how that war was fought mm-hmm. while it was being fought. Right. And you kind of see a lot of evidence of that in this movie, mm-hmm. and it's lovingly crafted, disgusting environments yeah dead bodies dead horses fucking barbed wire trenches bodies stuffed in every direction Mm -hmm. it's fucking vile 
Yeah. Amazingly crafted, really immersive movie, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Completely glued to it. Um, the movie does an excellent job at, like, being really, like, quiet and somber and then hitting you with a little bit crazier moments. It makes that movie... Here's the best way I could describe it. That movie makes me feel about its action segments, how Hollywood thinks people feel about, like, really dumb stuff, like how, like, in the Bad Boys for Life trailer, <laughs> how there's that thing where the helicopter's, like, swinging and, like, destroying the building and they have to jump away from it, but you, yeah. like, shrug because it's stupid. Well, but yeah, they want well, you to make you go, you know, like, holy shit! The thing is, you know that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence will not get killed by this giant helicopter. I have no fucking idea this movie. Yeah, th- this is... It's a war. You don't know who's going to live or die. It's just a soldier. It's like it's just it's just a guy. Yeah. <coughs> you don't know what the fuck's going to happen. I, I really encourage you guys, if you do want to see this movie, to not look up anything about it because there's a lot of great surprises. Yes. Uh, not just twists, but like who's even in the movie is yeah. somewhat of a surprise at times. And that kind of like hammered home a lot of cool moments to me, too, because I was like, holy shit. It's that guy yeah. showing up for a minute and killing it. Just in a brief role. I love when shit like that happens and I don't find out about it. Yeah, me too. This movie is full of great surprises. And um, it would do yourself a favor. And I'm so glad I theater. didn't get this movie spoiled of yeah. any movie that came out this year. Like, holy shit. If you appreciate, if you appreciate great filmmaking, if you appreciate, like, really fucked up and, like, wild war stories, if you appreciate, like... Just good acting and something great to look at. Yeah, go just go to the theater and watch this movie. I well, you still can. Buddy. I think it's a must-see experience in a theater. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. All right, let's continue. Yes, number thirty-nine. Another movie from last year, Knives Out. Uh, movie I didn't get to see. This is another movie that. If you can go in not knowing a damn thing, that is preferable. I wouldn't even watch a fucking trailer. It's, it's a it's a take on the whodunit genre. Yeah, and it's a brilliant take on it. It's a really well done take on it. Um, it by, by the guy that made that Last Jedi movie that a bunch of people hate. Yeah, well, the weird thing is, Ryan Johnson is an incredibly good writer. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody likes to talk about The Last Jedi. But this man also made Looper... Uh-huh. And uh, quite possibly the best episode of television from the past decade, the episode of Breaking Bad, Ozymandias. Yeah. Give that a little shout out. I'm not doing a television list or anything because that's a little difficult. Right. <laughs> Shows take a lot more time. I, might... I've watched less television than movies even. There's this a lot of, lot of TV My shows. favorite episode of TV I've seen in the last decade is probably either that episode of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Or the episode of BoJack Horseman where he's underwater. I hear a lot of good things about that one. That's one of the most well-made animated episodes of TV ever, and, like, it's so well done. You need to watch that show. We'll be starting BoJack Horseman soon. Dude. Yeah. Get get, it, get in there before it ends. Yeah, I'm it going ends. to. I, I just got caught up. And, like, during the most recent half season, I cried twice. <sighs> it's really good. I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to talk about Knives Out a lot because you haven't seen it, and I also don't want to spoil anything at all. Uh, but it's a brilliant movie. The only thing I will say is I'm incredibly excited that it's getting a sequel, but it's getting a sequel in the way that the only returning character will be Daniel Craig. That's dope. Daniel Craig is a detective, yeah, and he's going to be a new 
I think, multiple film series character who just solves mysteries in a movie. And I want this so bad. I want Ryan Johnson to not ever make a Star Wars movie again because that'll have the risk of losing creative freedom. Yeah, Disney. And he needs as much creative freedom as he possibly can because when he is completely unleashed and gets to do whatever he wants, it ends up being Knives Out. And it's a great, great, great time. Uh, All the acting is superb. So many fucking celebrities in that movie. Oh, my God. The cast is stacked. Just from seeing the trailers, the cast is fucking stacked. I'm sure there's more. Uh, God, there's so many people in that movie. (laughs) And all of them are brilliant. All of them are extremely well cast as their characters. Um, It reminds me a lot of the Clue movie, which is uh, not as good as Knives Out, but it's a good starting point to have your headspace in. Uh, Great set for the house. Yeah, it looks Um, cool as fuck. That film is great. And it's not quite my favorite film that came out in 2019, but it's up there. Alright, number 38. Mandy, starring the man, the myth, the legend, Nicolas Cage. Unleashed creatively. (laughs) This man just fucking explodes on screen in a artistic experimental horror film that uh takes a lot of weird unexpected directions (laughs) and uh i freely openly admit that much like a death grips album you may not like this but i sure do uh mandy is bloody and disgusting and at times really fucking sad and tragic but then at times triumphantly schlocky and they it just blends together effortlessly well it's part artistic horror film part metal album uh i loved that movie so much nicholas cage is the glue that holds it together with his amazing unhinged performance like i think it takes a lot of it takes a certain director and or, or a certain creator to actually take advantage of Nicolas Cage because, yeah. God, you, you know, you know Nicolas Cage. You see him in a billion movies every year. And it's always like a miscast. And it's always not great. Uh, too serious of a role. A role that doesn't take advantage of his pure, unbridled insanity. You need to take advantage of that man being nuts. There's a scene in this movie that takes place entirely in a bathroom, and it's Nicolas Cage in a orange shirt with a tiger on it in his underwear (laughs) holding a bottle of Jack Daniels or some kind of alcohol bleeding profusely from multiple wounds and he is just screaming. (laughs) I've seen this before. And the raw insane emotion of this man is powerful to witness uh, because I believe it when I watch Nicolas Cage. He really is like a nut. Yeah. Um, And I think taking advantage of that is important to deliver a a story yeah. and a half. Mandy is great. Give it a watch if you're into, you know, not your average horror film. Uh, number 37, quite possibly one of the best sequels of all time. A sequel that I feel encompasses the uh, the original, or like surpasses it, I should say. I used the wrong word. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yep. I am actually not that big of a fan of the original Blade Runner, so I wasn't expecting to actually even like this movie. But what I found was it surpasses the original. In many ways. Emotionally, 
artistically. It's I think it's just genuinely a better film, and I know that that can maybe be a controversial take because Blade Runner has a lot of fans, yeah. and I'm not saying you're wrong. I don't hate Blade Runner. I just wasn't as, you know, I heard so many things about it and I wasn't impressed when I finally saw it. I'd say that Blade Runner is a more culturally important movie than, than Blade Runner 2049 is. I could see but that. What 2049 does better is it takes everything that that movie does, makes it better in a modern context, on top of it is so fucking beautiful that yeah. every single frame of that movie I could hang as a painting in my house. And Gosling is such a damn good actor. Yeah. And I, and I really hope that he is in more stuff next decade. Cause Me too. Honestly, wasn't a whole lot. it's kind of sparse when he's in a good movie. Um, like, there's maybe, like, three or four times he was in something really significant this decade that I can think of. Uh, hope he's in more things. Me too. Movie's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another movie that is about possibly loving a robot her mm. is next on my list number 36 her is really emotional and really well done and it's a movie that like depending on your point of view you could come away being incredibly enamored with and thinking it's a brilliant love story or incredibly uh, horrified by and honestly I don't know where I stand on the issue. I like how it makes because you, it makes you me could feel just both ways. you could come out of it both ways. Yeah. But it is incredibly well acted and brilliant. Oh yeah. And kind of scary when you think about will this just happen? Will people date computers? <laughs> Are they already dating computers? I don't know. Future scary. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the 20s. And I don't mean the, you know, smoke a cigarette and eat a donut and hit your wife 20s. <laughs> Um, get <laughs> for better or worse I don't know <laughs> so next up 35 that movie that you poo pooed earlier Your Name I think Your Name is gorgeous that is a fantastic movie Your Name is really emotional I think it works really well with its concept and its concept is really forward thinking without trying too hard to make a point about it um really lovingly crafted uh, love story really but it's hard to see how that works until the end of the movie Um, because really it's a very personal journey for large large portions of it right Uh, I definitely liked it more than you I guess yeah I mean I just I don't know but I found it quite fascinating that was okay the concept is really fucking good on that movie. It's interesting, for sure. It's a concept that you could maybe roll your eyes at when you first hear about it. It's animated as fuck. Yeah, but it's done so well uh, to defy belief, honestly. Number 34. uh, The beginning of the end of cinema as we know it. Joss Whedon's The Avengers. No, I'm kidding. That's like a really cynical way to talk about that. Uh, And not too inaccurate. (laughs) Look, for better or worse, Joss Whedon comes onto the screen and says, hey, here's what superhero movies are going to be for the decade, and delivers, quite honestly, I think a pretty flawless take on superheroes with the Avengers. Um, I think it still holds up really well. All the characters are well-written. The dialogue works. You know, Whedon can sometimes be 
annoying to me. You may notice well, Age of cringy. Ultron is nowhere near yeah. my top fifty. For instance, sometimes this movie works. Yeah. It really feels like I'm reading an event comic book with all the characters crossed over. Um, it has been topped this decade, in my opinion by the MCU itself, and I'll get to that in a bit. But I think The Avengers was really important in showing what is actually going to be possible with movies this decade. Yeah. How you can have this cohesive, multi-film universe with lots of crossing over of characters. And it's an unprecedented thing that's never really happened before, and I think a lot of people take it for granted in a way. Yeah. Uh, and maybe for good reason. Maybe it's run its course. I think that will remain to be seen this decade. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens to comic book movies. Um, but I feel that that doesn't really necessarily mean that Avengers is bad in retrospect. No. I think it's still a fantastic film in, fact, in I its think own that, right I think that as movie, a standalone experience. As, as much as I like the newer Avengers movies, the newer two ones, um, I think the original one has something that a lot of the a lot of the newer Marvel movies lack which is like uh, like outward personality and I think it's something that that Joss Whedon brought to the table with the original Avengers yeah that's and it has a different vibe compared to like everything in the modern MCU you you could be right but I appreciate what it started yeah absolutely number 33 is this the first animated movie in my top 50? I believe it is. Uh, your name was right before this. Oh, yeah, you're right. <coughs> first American animated movie. Toy Story 3, the perfect ending to the perfect trilogy of movies that can be enjoyed whether you are 2 or 102. Right. Pixar is perfect. Well, almost. Almost. Looking at cars. I'm looking at you cars. You fucking sack of shit. Anyway, Toy Story 3 is great. I'm glad they never made another Toy Story after that, because uh, that was a perfect ending, and honestly, I don't know where you'd go from yeah, there. Yeah, I, uh, I don't plan on watching Toy Story 4. <laughs> like, at all? No. You know what? Uh, I'm going to, just because I have heard it's good. I've heard it's good, at least. I was waiting to hear if it was good. Uh, I wanted to know in my heart that it wasn't just a soulless cash grab, and, and maybe it still is a bit, but... I'm willing to give Toy Story 4 a chance, but I think in my heart, Toy Story 3 will be probably the, still the true ending of that franchise, and there probably shouldn't be anything that happens after it, because it's it's really interesting and cool to look at from the perspective of I watched Toy Story when I was a little, little kid, and then, you know, I guess I'm Andy in that circumstance, because by the time 3 came out, I was getting ready to go to college and growing up and shit yeah. and leaving my childhood behind. And except for one other Pixar movie that you'll see later, that's a really good representation of uh, growing up and leaving behind your childhood but not losing sight of what was important about it. Right. Uh, and also, it's really fucking funny. Yeah, it is. Pixar is really great at humor. It's not cringy, bad DreamWorks animation or Illumination animation kids' humor. They understand what's funny. They're excellent at it. And what's funny is Mr. Potato Head, but he is a tortilla. That's just so good. <laughs> That's just so good. 
It's it really is actually, and and the the Buzz Lightyear talking in Spanish is really yeah. good. Uh, shame that it's Tim Allen though. No. Uh, shut up, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mel, can you please just shut the fuck up? I'm gonna name this episode "Shut Up, Tim." Really? That's not an obscure name for an episode. <laughs> Whatever, we'll I see. I just want Tim Allen to shut the fuck up, okay? Well, I, 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 me, me, you and me both, man. Uh, number thirty-two. Also, an incredible sequel. Hopefully, we will watch this on this program at some point as well, because this is the end of a franchise for now that uh, I liked quite a bit. War for the Planet of the Apes. You should not be able to tell an emotional, harrowing journey about an ape, but they did. Uh, it's about Ape Jesus mm-hmm. going to a POW camp. Yep. And uh, it's fucking brilliant. I don't understand how they even pulled it off. Um, Andy Circus is able to act as whatever the fuck, apparently. Um, he pulls off a fantastic performance as the ape leader, Caesar. Uh, Woody Harrelson's also really good in that movie. Uh, Matt Reeves is great at crafting a really, really emotionally intense film, and I'm really looking forward to his take on Batman. Uh, That's going to be something. I have high hopes for that Batman movie. I have such high hopes. I want there to be a good Batman movie again. (laughs) Please. Number 31 is Avengers Endgame, and number 30 is Avengers Infinity War, so I'll just talk about them together. Uh... Much like I said about the Avengers um, being a really good example of an event comic on screen with lots of characters mixing and talking and crossing over. Uh, This does it even better. This is an amazing two-part movie experience that I think quite literally everyone on planet Earth has seen by now. considering Endgame was the highest-grossing film of all time. Right. Uh, So, most of y'all know that it's good already. Um, I know that I probably value Endgame higher than some people. I definitely see Infinity War regarded higher. Um, I do think it's superior. I think it's the closest we're going to get to feeling like we watched Empire Strikes Back in our lifetime. Yeah. Uh, That ending, that cliffhanger ending, is something that's hard to replicate. Especially in this day and age where we have endless sequels and we know what's going to happen all the time. Um, Obviously, I feel like it was a pretty safe bet that all the characters were going to be safe that died. Spoiler, but everybody's seen it already anyway. Uh, But even still, it felt ballsy. It felt important for the story and the characters. And they ended up telling a pretty intense emotional story in the first half of Endgame with it. And then it turned into some fun time heist stuff and uh, I honestly can't say I didn't enjoy it uh, it's great fun um, yeah yeah you could criticize how much CGI is there but this is how movies are gonna go you know whatever George Lucas was right unfortunately or fortunately this is how it's gonna go you're gonna mm-hmm. make movies that are 90% CGI and you know what they look fucking amazing. It's like a comic book brought to life. I'm honestly more impressed, of course, when movies have 
things that look realistic, like something like 1917 happening or something like Mad Max Fury Road happening where, yeah, they just went out and did that. That's incredibly more impressive to me. But I think I think there's still definitely a place for this kind of stuff. Absolutely. It's yeah. fun. And Infinity War, I think, is superior because Marvel had problems with villains for a long time. But Thanos is not one of those. Thanos is, weirdly enough, like the main character of that movie and has a hero's journey, except he's the villain. <laughs> and it's really fascinating to see him, like, succeed and win. Yeah. But, like, lose a lot and, like, kind of go through a harrowing experience himself. Mm-hmm. And the character development on a character that, like, I find to be really one note in the comics was fascinating to me to see. And they pulled it off tremendously well, as did uh, Josh Brolin acting as big purple bad guy Thanos. You know what the whole CGI conversation is to me? Remember when people were like, even me in high school when I was a uh-huh. stupid kid, were like, drum machines have no soul? <laughs> <laughs> this is a good example. Holy shit. It's the same thing. Yeah. There are artists, really talented artists, who make that shit and yeah. make it look good. CGI ain't easy. Yeah. It's really hard. And those people pull it off so fucking well. The same thing as somebody who can, somebody like an artist I love from this year, JPEG Mafia, who could sit in front of their computer in their house and put together a fucking banging ass compelling beat with not really any real instruments in front of them. It's the same thing. You don't have to have a real, a real fucking crazy alien spaceship thing in front of you. You could animate it. Yeah. Well. And make it look realistic. Now, obviously, there's a difference between good CGI and bad CGI. So you can spot bad CGI from a mile so away. There's a difference between good hip-hop production and bad hip-hop production. It's sure. Thing. But there's always worse made art. I think the fact that you're not constantly thinking about how it's CGI when you're watching a movie with a giant purple space monster fighting a literal army of CGI characters, <laughs> you're not constantly thinking about you're watching a cartoon like you're watching the Star Wars prequels. Right. You're thinking about the story of the movie. I think that says a lot about how well those movies are made. Now, the big question in the current decade we're in is, what's Marvel's relevancy going to be? Are they going to peter out a bit? But, like, I don't know. It's a hard question for me because I've seen people saying the superhero movie is going to be dead since the first Avengers came out. Right. And that ended up being... Really not the case, as we've reached this weird pinnacle we're at where Endgame's the highest grossing movie of all time. What I hope happens from here, because if the people making these movies are smart, it's going to be really difficult, nigh impossible, to replicate that. Yes. Where Marvel should go now, I know we're going really long here, by the way, but where Marvel should go now is they need to take, they need to get weird. They need to get real fucking weird and create some new, unique experiences. And I think that's kind of a direction they're heading in by the looks of it. At least I hope so. With the weird-ass What If series coming out and, like, some really, like, interesting, like, mashups of characters and yeah, shows I'm hoping, instead of I'm a hoping bunch of this movies. fourth phase is diverse because we got, like, a Kung Fu character in Shang-Chi. Right. 
possibly a horror movie, but maybe not in Doctor not Strange anymore, Two. Probably. Uh, but you know, you'd like to think that there's at least going to be diversity going forward. Yeah, I think it's time to get weird. I think so. I think it's paid off for them in the past. You may see some of it later. Right in my list. So twenty nine, uncut gems, boy. This movie just got robbed by the Academy Awards, by the way. Yeah, not getting a did. single nomination. Adam, Adam Sandler of Adam all Sandler fucking out people out tweeting no no nominations for the Sandman sad face. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out real quick that Adam Sandler threatened us all <laughs> by saying if he doesn't get nominated, he's going to release the worst film he's ever made on purpose. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. And literally this year he has a film coming out for Netflix called Hubie Halloween that I think is just going to be that. Uh, like He's going to make the worst movie he's ever made. It's going to be really... Difficult to top Jack and Jill, I think, for me. That's a pretty terrible movie. If anything cemented, before Adam Sandler's Twitter started popping off, if anything cemented that he knows exactly what he's doing by making these shitty movies, it's Adam Sandler's Twitter now. <laughs> Where it's like... He's secure in the bag. He, yeah. I can, res- I can respect the hustle to a certain degree. Yeah. I hate most of his films. No, Don't get me wrong. But as long as he's getting the bag, I guess. I, if you he know. can every once in a while come out and like prove his chops with something like this. Yeah. Okay. Go he ahead. does an incredible job in this movie crafting a unforgettable character. Yeah. Uh, and one that he was born to play. It's a loud, obnoxious asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so he plays it well. But you can't help but feel for him a lot in this movie as he puts himself into this awful situation after awful situation. But you can't help but feel for him because this is the story of a fucking addict. Yes. And it really has a tinge of sadness, despite how funny it can be at multiple times Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, Brilliantly crafted by the Safdie brothers who I need to watch all the rest of their movies. Oh, my God. If they're this good... Just about. I, I need to see them. Um, great performances across the board as well. But Sandler, of course, steals the show as the main character. Always. Not always, but in this case, yes. <laughs> when he's in his... When Don't Adam look up Sandler, the ending of that movie right, either. When Adam Sandler gets himself into a serious role, it tends to be good. Yeah, he's a good actor. Yeah. He just old, usually old. doesn't give a shit. Well, he, he gets paid. How much fucking money and Netflix so gave do him? all of his friends. Right, and that's the big thing. Whatever. He, he can do it if right. he wants to do it. Yeah. All right, number 28, Edgar Wright, back at it again, Baby Driver. God, we're only on number 28. Yeah, I know. Fam, we gotta accelerate this. We, we will. Fine. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Great chase scenes. Uh, killer soundtrack, one of the best soundtracks of the decade. I'm sorry that Kevin Spacey is in this film. Yeah, me too. What are you gonna do? But lots of interesting characters in that movie, other than him too. It's, it's not like it's not like fucking Edgar Wright knew. Hey, you, no one knew. You can't yeah. do anything about that, right? Um, You're just stuck. You know, hey, it's not gonna stop me. His from character is that. still interesting. It doesn't ruin that experience for me. No. That is such a great little crime thriller with a. Cool main character. Yeah. Loved it. Also, shout outs to Jamie Foxx in that movie playing a villain of all villains. <laughs> Number 27, Ex Machina. 
mm-hmm. brilliant little film. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird to see how often robots pop up in this list here. Let's just keep going. Yeah. I'll get through a lot of them. 26, Grand Budapest Hotel. Wes Anderson's always brilliant. You yep. just watch any Wes Anderson movie. Have a good time, mm-hmm. basically. I think movie on go. Blu-ray. I never opened it. You know, you should watch it, Justin. It's really good. I know. <laughs> That's a beautiful little movie. It's, uh, I've seen it. Looks great. Oh, okay. Well, I, I just wanted to buy it. Oh, all I right. I just never opened it. You know, that's fair. You got a mint condition <laughs> copy. Budapest. Number 25, one of my favorite meta horror films of the decade, The Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Love that movie. Fun time. Particularly for its last act. <laughs> if you don't know, if you don't know, you don't need to know. No, just, just go watch it, it and don't yeah. know anything. Just know it's going to be a little meta for a horror film. I think it's the best meta take on horror. Probably since Scream. I yeah. think it's better than Scream, though. Probably, yeah. Number 24, The Hateful Eight. Tarantino's a master. This is, like, not even, like, even close to his best film. But The Hateful Eight is still immaculately well-made. A great Western. Um, and also, I like how it approaches... Um, Kind of an interesting conversation about race. Yeah. While, like, usually, you know, a way a movie, like, like let's just say, like, something like, I don't know, American History X, for example. You got a white racist character, but then they meet a black guy that's like, okay. And then they're like, okay, maybe I was wrong. This movie, <laughs> no one is a nice person at all. Everybody but sucks. you still have characters that somewhat bond over them both being assholes, kind of, yeah. and having a similar goal to accomplish, despite the fact that one of them is racist towards the other. Yeah. It's like a weird way to go about that kind of story while still presenting all of your characters as basically unlikable. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate movies that take place in, like, a bottle location. Yeah. Really focused. No, it's really cool um, in that aspect. Hateful Eight's great. 23... I think the best Western of the decade and one of the best of all time, the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit. Yep. Tops the original in every single way. Uh, Jeff Bridges does a better job than John Wayne mm-hmm. easily, it's injecting because, a lot of character into uh, that film. Jeff Bridges is a better actor than John Wayne, who was a typecast. Well, yes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Coen Brothers are always great. I like when they have a serious movie as well. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of humor to be found in True Grit early on as well, though. Great they, film. They're always going to inject their brand of humor into everything. Oh, like. yeah. You know, even with, like, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. There's, 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 still there's funny, funny things in that like, movie. There's, like, awkwardly funny shit in that there's movie. There's some awkward shit. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's really interesting. Number 22, David Fincher's Gone Girl. Yeah. Great little murder mystery. Affleck at his douchey best. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler Perry, of all people, is great in that movie. Yeah. Please see Gone Girl. Great movie. 21, Tarantino's best film of the decade. Quite possibly one of the best he's ever made. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I need to see it still. Yeah, you definitely do. Uh, The ending of that movie is un- fucking believable uh you're working with something that really happened but this is tarantino so it did and you've yeah. seen inglorious bastards right so you just so just ridiculous. keep that in mind and i won't expand further now please don't i want to be surprised but it is absolutely fucking jaw-droppingly crazy <laughs> i adored it it's also a great character study of 
two characters played by two of the best actors of all time, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, playing great roles meant for both of them. It's a really great story about characters who are basically not great people, probably, but they end up being, I would maybe hesitate to say straight up heroes, but the character development is there. And I think it works out quite well. Hmm. Um, I end up having a very positive opinion of the both of them by the end of that movie, despite a lot of the evidence to the contrary that they show you. But that's how Tarantino works. Nothing is clean cut. No, everything's ambiguous and gray. Speaking of uh, shitty and evil, number 20 is Hereditary, which is a fucking intense, emotionally draining horror film that... uh, Almost just basically I don't ever want to watch again, but I can't help but be in awe of the power of that movie. You went and saw that movie, and then we had a fire after, and I was scared to have a fire. Because <laughs> Satan going to come out of yeah. it. <laughs> that is a, in a, a very surprising movie. Lots of crazy shit happens in it. You have no idea what's going to happen. I'm a big fan of horror movies, and so I get desensitized a lot, and not a lot of things scare me. Mm-hmm. That movie terrified me. Yeah, it's it's fucking crazy, you know. I'm really not religious, as well, but something otherworldly about that movie. Loved it. I didn't believe a witch could cast a curse on me and fuck my life up. Hey, you know, it, 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 what you gonna do? <laughs> Sometimes that happens, I guess. Number nineteen, another horror movie, but this one has kind of like action horror. The Guest. Mm. Uh, the less you know about the Guest, the better. Just watch the Guest. What a fascinating movie. Uh. I don't want to say a it, damn thing that's because what I'm gonna say this about is it. kind of a cult hit movie where like no one fucking watched it, even though everyone should watch the guest. Yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't. I didn't hear about it until I saw a video about it. Yeah, um, that movie's brilliant. I love movies that take a long time to reveal uh, what uh, kind of movie they even are. Yeah. <laughs> um, really well done. Please see that movie. Eighteen Creed. I already kind of talked about how good. Creed 2 was. Creed 1 is even better. One of the best Rocky movies of all time uh, in rebooting the franchise with uh, amazing lead Michael B. Jordan. Um, yep. Stallone they still found showing a lot that, of heart. like, um, if it's a Rocky movie, he acts good. <laughs> if it's anything else, nope. Act bad. Including Rambo. Yeah, bad. Oof. Number 17, Logan. Uh, quite possibly one of the best superhero movies ever made because it's barely a superhero movie. My personal favorite superhero movie. It's really well done and touching, especially with all the movies that come before it as a baseline. If you like, have any history with the characters of Wolverine and Professor X, that movie works really well and is really emotional. Uh, surprisingly worked so well. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they pulled it off, honestly, to be honest. I just said honestly. Yeah, I wonder you're good, dude. Whatever. 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 <laughs> Number 16. Another sort of superhero movie? Birdman. Mm. Not really Not at really all. A superhero. But, but it's a movie about a guy who used to play a superhero. Michael Keaton, who we just uh, saw as Batman. Fun part about that movie is also kind of a minute reflection of Michael Keaton's life. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a lot of... An episode of Batman the Animated Series starring Adam West, where he uh, hates that the only thing he's remembered for is playing 
a superhero. <laughs> uh, it goes in a different direction because this character wants to be a serious actor and is not being taken seriously at all. And it's uh, the effects of all that on his psyche. And also, much like 1917, this is a movie that basically tries to be one shot. It succeeds really well. It's really focused. It feels like a play at times because of this. Mm-hmm. It's a movie about a play, so that makes a lot of sense. In a meta way. Yeah, it's very uh, very well made. Enjoy that movie. Number 15. I think Once Upon a Time might be a better movie. But I think my favorite Tarantino movie, maybe of all time, is Django Unchained. And that's what I put here. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if that contradicts everything I just said. But I was incredibly impressed with Django just as me. But I think I can appreciate Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more from a filmmaking perspective. But Django is so good on a story level. Django is so well made on a story level. I'm the only thing that really gets me about Django Unchained is it is the whole like it does an okay job of kind of diverting from it, but it is also like a white savior story for the first like half of it, and that kind of sucks. Well, I think it's hard to not have some way if you're going to tell a story about a slave. There has to be a way for him to get unslaved. Yeah. And, you know, the last act of that movie solves that problem. Oh, yeah, very Because it much. takes that aspect of his life away. Yeah. And it's just him. And, in my opinion, that's where the movie gets really fucking that's good. That's the best part of the movie, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Jamie Foxx is the man. <clears throat> he does a great job. Uh, but also Christoph Waltz. Great. God bless his heart. Tarantino can craft dialogue in a story like nobody else. Sure, he's a meme human obsessed with feet, like a <laughs> goblin creature, but what are you going to do? Better writer than nearly anyone else in the business. Quentin Tarantino, goblin creature, top tier filmmaker. <laughs> hey, it happens. Number 14, Drive. You talked about it. I agree. <laughs> just I could just watch a whole movie of Ryan Gosling sitting in a car and just driving while slow techno pop plays. Hell yeah. I'm all right with it. Number 13, Mad Max Fury Road, for many of the same reasons that we already discussed. Good shit. Number 12, one of David Fincher's best films and still so fucking relevant. To us now, the social network. Mm-hmm. This man <laughs> accurately predicted so much about the inhuman monster that is Mark Zuckerberg. Um, this movie doesn't paint him in a nice light. Nope. And at the time, that was a controversial subject. But I think now, time Makes has sense. proven David Fincher way correct. Yep. And Jesse Eisenberg did a great job of portraying him as a somewhat sociopathic being. I hesitate to say human because I don't know what planet Mark Zuckerberg is from. Mars? They smoke meat there, though. Because mm. he at least knows about smoked meats. Quite a lot. <laughs> Weirdly enough. 
God, what a weird person. Alien. But a person that has lots of control over our daily lives, and it's kind of scary. Terrifying, actually. And, uh, yeah. That's why this movie is incredibly interesting, especially to watch now, Yeah, looking back on it. Number 11, an epilogue to possibly my favorite TV show of all time, El Camino. Uh, amazing. Amazing little movie. Not too important in the larger scheme of Breaking Bad, but it's so well made that it doesn't matter. Um, they're just showing that they can still make top quality stuff without even thinking about it. Breaking Bad is so damn good. Yeah. Um, and El Camino works really well as a coda for the series to resolve its only hanging thread, which was Jesse Pinkman. Ten... Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know what you can say about Scorsese that everybody else hasn't already said. He's probably one of the best directors of all time. Wolf of Wall Street's one of my favorites of his. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Um, a really long, really intimate look at some of the worst people to ever exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, DiCaprio, in the thick of it, playing an asshole. <laughs> And pretty well. Nine, Raid Redemption. All the reasons you said that it's great. I definitely agree. Number eight, The Revenant. Hey, look, it's DiCaprio again. What the fuck? The Revenant's amazing. It is. Um, Again, long shots. Not necessarily designed to be one shot, but really, really long shots. Mm -hmm. And I still, to this day struggle to really know how they did that bear scene. Apparently it fucked DiCaprio pretty good. <laughs> so the bear fucked him? It does look like it one shot. Mm-hmm. Um that is a great emotional experience of a movie. Really intense. Oh yeah. It's it's a good old, good old seven pumper. My personal favorite film from David Fincher, and I think that's saying a lot, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, I think it tops the uh, Swedish version. Oh, by a mile. By a mile. Yeah. And that's still a good adaptation of a good book. But this is the best version of the story. It breaks my heart that they never made the sequels. But in terms of being a standalone work, it still works quite fine. Its characters are great. Um, I... Oddly enough, really like Daniel Craig when he's not being James Bond. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Mm. I think he's good at everything else. Maybe it's because he doesn't care about being James Bond, kind of. Skyfall's still great. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I name-dropped that earlier, but I digress. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is next. You already said why it's good. Five. The best MCU movie. Guardians of the Galaxy. Also, probably the best Star Wars movie since Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I like that. And that's a lot of Star Wars movies to consider. Oh, God. None of them come close. Uh, I think he nails the people from many walks of life coming together to fight an unstoppable evil force narrative better than anyone has since. Yeah, the original first two Star Wars movies, um, and he does it really well while keeping his 
sense of wit and humor very clear throughout the entire movie. That's an MCU movie where you can tell who is making the damn thing. For sure. Uh, very much looking forward to his third installment. Thank God they hired him back. Four, a silent voice, like you said earlier. Also three, the wind rises. Two is Inside Out for me, which is Pixar's best film. Um, really good portrayal of growing up and leaving behind things that uh, shaped you and defined you previously. Yeah. Uh, and doing so in an extremely creative, visually appealing way. And in the, um, only, the way only Pixar can do it. Yeah. I think it's hard for me to like definitively say if that's their best movie, but there's there's so many. There's so damn many. It's at least not Cars 2. I'll say that. <laughs> or Cars 3. Or Cars. Yeah. Let's go out on a limb and have that hot take. They're all bad. Yeah. I not just Cars 2. Like I see Cars 2 stated a lot, but I don't think any of them are good. I saw the trailer for Cars 3. <laughs> and I was like, nah, dude, I'm good. Have you have you seen Cars 3? No. It is better than Cars 2. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Anyway, Inside Out's good. Yeah, it's great. Number one is uh, the Spider-Man movie. There you go. Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, there you go. That's my favorite film of the decade. Oh, yeah. No, it's not fucking... (laughs) It's Spider-Man 3, guys. Surprise. It won it two decades in a row. (laughs) Hell yeah, bro. Nah, I don't know. Like, as, as someone who has been a fan of comic books and the stories involved therein my whole life, that's the best representation of it outside of comics I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the closest, easily. And even if you're not a fan, it works really well. Um, that's about it. That's all that. Next week we'll do video game. Yeah. It's a break time. One second, please. All right. You cramping? No, it's not a cramp. It's like, I don't know, man. It feels weird. It should go pretty quick through movie, honestly. I, I think that, strangely enough, there's probably a lot less to say about it than the other ones. Yeah, I wrote down far less things. But it's also the best one. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, you gotta edit a lot this time. No, buddy. you're okay. Make a lot of noise and go. All right, so now that that is done, let's talk about another comic book movie. (laughs) Yeah, great. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Now, I wrote down a lot here. Well, and not not as much as usual. That's That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Because we're running a little long. Yeah, almost uh, two hours already. These big celebration of the decades things, I kind of expect it because we're going to end up doing it anyway. Right. So... Batman, the animated series, has to be kind of talked about before we even talk about this. Yeah. At least briefly. Ran from 1992 to 1995, uh, with Batman becoming an extremely 
popular property thanks to Batman 89. An animated show emulating the style of Burton's film was a no-brainer. The show was developed by Bruce, Tim, Paul Dini, and Mitch Bryan, produced by Warner Brothers Animation, uh, which was on fire in the 90s. Batman, Animaniacs, later Pinky in the Brain, Freakazoid, like just hit show after hit show. Some of the best cartoons ever made. Uh, classic Bugs Bunny logo at the start of every single episode of Batman and all those other shows. Just fucking embedded in my consciousness for all time because I've seen so many cartoons <laughs> that start with that in my childhood. But it aired on Fox Kids. See, yeah, you you can you can uh, you can work with other companies. It's fine. That's cool. Probably not anymore because they'll just all be bought by Disney and we'll just uh, have to bow down to our new overlords one day. I can't wait. <laughs> so, Bruce Tim and fellow artist Eric Radomski designed the look of the show. While based on Burton's film, the show also took inspiration from the classic Flesher Studios Superman cartoons from the 1940s. Uh, those are great. They're really fucking cheesy, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As you could maybe assume. 40 Superman, of course uh, it is. Radomski designed the look of Gotham for the show, which utilized dark colors in an art deco art style, and therefore was nicknamed Dark Deco by producers. Uh, I love the look it's of Batman the Animated fantastic. Series so much. It's very unique. The plots of the show were often much more adult than superhero cartoons of the past. You know, I, mean, I guess your only other examples before this were those 40s Superman cartoons and then, like, Hanna-Barbera Super Friends. Right. <laughs> so that's probably wasn't the best example. Studio executives would constantly request changes and censorship of the material. But Batman the Animated Series is a landmark in the character's history in general, responsible for creating characters like Harley Quinn and Renee Montoya, as well as changing characters like Mr. Freeze, for instance, into much more fleshed out and compelling characters than they previously were known as. The first season was in production at the same time as Batman Returns. So, fun fact, the Penguin was designed to resemble the Danny DeVito version of the character, but they toned the character down quite a bit from how he's portrayed in Batman Returns. Yeah. And retained some of his uh, aristocratic uh, social status right. <laughs> that he had in the comics, which uh, I felt like that version of the character could have done more with. I mean, he did run for mayor and all that, I guess. But uh, anyway, after the great successes of the animated series first season, as well as Batman Returns, Warner Brothers decides to hire Alan Burnett, a writer on the television series, previously worked on The Smurfs, of Whoa. all fucking things. Uh, to write a script for a feature-length direct-to-video release. Which leads us to Batman Mask of the Phantasm, a 1993 film directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Timm, written by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Martin Pascoe, and Michael Reeves. Uh, they approached it as if they were making a really long episode of the show, so it was written by multiple people assisting in multiple areas and directed by multiple people as well. Because that's how they, you know, produced episodes of the show. Yeah. So the original idea for a film involved Batman being put 
on trial by all of his villains at Arkham Asylum to prove Batman's guilt in driving them down the path to becoming supervillains. This idea was considered uh, too galaxy brain and was shelved, uh, later being shortened and turned into an episode of the series titled Trial. One of the best episodes episodes of the series, yeah. And I like its answer to the question, which is, no, Batman didn't cause all the characters to exist they're just crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, Burnett decides to tell a love story because it hadn't been done on the TV show before. He also wanted to present a story that really got into Bruce's psyche, as well as a story not involving any of Batman's previous prominent rogues. However, it was eventually decided to include, spoilers, the Joker. Now, the team was hesitant to go forward with this decision as they didn't want to connect the film to Batman 1989. We then realized that we could make his appearance serve the story in a way that we never could in live action, Michael Reeves said about the decision. I think they made a good choice. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of my favorite aspects of this movie is Mark Hamill's Joker. The best Joker. And I, yeah, and I really like that it takes... A good 40 minutes for him to even show up. Yeah. It's a good little twist. He's not the centerpiece of the movie, which I think serves it well. But it's he's a really good tool to kind of move the plot forward. Yes. And just being able to have the crazy Joker shenanigans without it encompassing the entire film is really refreshing. Yeah, it doesn't dominate the whole proceedings. Right. So the film's story was inspired by the Detective Comics storyline, Batman Year Two. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. Written by Mike W. Barr and illustrated by Alan Davis, Paul Neary, Alfredo Alcala, Mark Farmer, and the Edgelord himself, Todd McFarlane. Oh, God. (laughs) In an early artistic role for him the comic differs heavily from the film uh the main villain in that is the murderous vigilante the reaper which got changed to the phantasm now um to briefly talk about the plot of the movie the reaper was indeed the father of the female lead in that version of the story and uh phantasm decided to have a twist on that which we'll get into in a bit Now, despite being conceived as a direct-to-video release, WB decides to change Mask of the Phantasm into a theatrical release, and this crunches production time into a tight, year-long schedule, but WB does increase the budget dramatically to compensate, but I got the sense that uh, they didn't want that to happen. The producers of this. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden they have to rush this and they better make it look really fucking good because people are going to see it on a movie screen. It's a little different than what they thought they were getting into. Yeah. So, I'll talk about the cast real brief and then we'll get into it. Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill reprise their iconic roles as Batman and Joker from the animated series. Roles that they have come to define again and again in TV shows. Direct to streaming animated films, video games, and now even live action television with Conroy playing an evil alternate universe <laughs> Batman in the recent CW Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. Yeah. He made it. He got to be in a fucking thing where he appears with his face. <laughs> also reprising their roles is Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as the best Alfred. 
Robert Costanzo as Harvey Bullock, the Fred Flintstone-ass detective. Fun fact for Gen and Jub listeners. Guess what? He was in Die Hard 2 as Detective Lorenzo's brother, the one that gives McLean a ticket. Oh, okay, yeah. What an asshole. And he's an asshole in this, too. <laughs> and Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon, one of the best portrayals of that character. Uh, our female lead is Dana Delaney, playing Andrea Beaumont. A performance that impressed the Batman animated series team and led to her being cast as Lois Lane for Superman the animated series, their follow-up to Batman. Yeah. Uh, other characters. Hart Bachner plays corrupt city official Arthur Reeves. We saw him play another iconic corrupt slimeball when he played Harry Ellis in the original Die Hard. That's that guy. Oh, That okay. fucking asshole who tried to make a deal with Gruber. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Ha- yeah. What a small world the world of film is. Dick Miller's in this movie, too. What? Oh. Marty Murray Futterman himself <laughs> from Gremlins and Gremlins 2 yep. plays the Phantasm's first victim, Chucky Soul. Uh, also, the legendary Abe Vigoda is in this movie playing Salvatore Valestra, uh, sharing the first name of his character, Salvatore Tessio, from The Godfather and Godfather 2. Really cool little reference there. Uh, and the score, I have to shout out because, God, the score is so good in Mask of the Phantasm. It's really dramatic and great. Yeah. Shirley Walker composed the score. Now, she was a pioneer. For women in film in general, uh, one of the most famous composers that is a woman. She worked as a conductor for Danny Elfman on his Batman 89 score, and so she scored the Batman animated series and Superman animated series as a result, and this, uh, amongst numerous other things. Now, the Latin singing during this opening credits sequence, that's CGI, Landscape of Gotham City, Yeah. Uh, that's actually just Warner Brothers staff names saying backwards for some reason. Huh. <laughs> it's just nonsense. It's not really uh, anything. Of course. But it sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> and one last little cool thing. The score, uh, the synthesizer for the score, is played by one Hans Zimmer, who oh. in the future would score Batman films of his own in uh, Nolan's trilogy. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Got to start on Batman. So, Josby, hit me up with what happens in this movie. Okay. So, yeah, we get big spooky Latin. People say it backwards. 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 <laughs> Hail Satan. We get a really cool credit crawl. And then after that, we get Batman doing the Batman thing. Oh, mm-hmm. here's... Here's Mafia Guy. Mm-hmm. Batman chasing Mafia Guy. Yeah. Mafia Guy, get away from Batman after he beats up a whole room full of dudes. Mm-hmm. Knocks, Sc- crushes a dude with a table. That yeah. dude's probably dead. I'm, I'm going to say victim count at least one <laughs> from Batman. I think at the end of our look back, I'll have a death total for every single film yeah, and now, see what's highest. More people die in this movie than that, but it's not Batman's fault. No, Batman's not a killer in Batman the Animated Series, unlike the fucking Michael Keaton one. <laughs> I disagree. He literally killed a dude with the table in the first part of this it's movie. It's a cartoon. I buy it more than the Tim Burton movie where he lights a man on fire. <laughs> yeah, <he's okay. laughs> it's like Kazuma Kiryu 
Yeah. You know, hitting people off a truck. They're fine. That helicopter that blew up at it, all right. Yeah, at least they, they know that's a meme. They're like... <laughs> <laughs> like so, they're doing uh, it on purpose, but this, they're not doing that on purpose. <laughs> right, yeah. So, after he beats up all the mafia dudes, he's going after the guy who escapes. Um, and then he is confronted by a very misty, shadowy figure who is either vaping or farting <laughs> out of their cape. Who knows? The vape-tasm. Oh. The mask of the vape-tasm, dude. Oh. Chucky soul. <laughs> uh, I love the ghosty voice. Yeah. I love the look of the phantasm so much. They really crafted a unique, cool-looking character. Yeah. Uh, one that hasn't appeared in comics until this year will yeah, appear in Batman and Catwoman. Very interesting. Yeah. How, like, how much people love this movie? Yeah, it's a cult hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one. It's my personal favorite Batman film, at least as of now. We'll yeah. see if my opinion changes as I rewatch everything. Maybe Catwoman will be my. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so this this figure shows up and uh, is claims to be the angel of death of the, for this man who's going to take your him. angel of death awaits. Mm-hmm. And so. This motherfucker's trying to kill this dude. Yeah, well, you know, Dick Miller got to go be racist some more. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, he ain't got time for this shit. So in a little little quick little action, he tries to run run this, this phantasm over with the car. Mm-hmm. Ain't happening. Yeah. Dude ends up getting tricked by some vape clouds and then drives off a roof into a window and dies. He dies really fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, what are you gonna do? Yep, and then people. So everybody look, thinks Batman did it. Yep, because Batman goes to the aftermath, sees it, looks down. Everybody's like, "Hey, look, it's Batman!" It's Batman. He that, killed that guy. That Whoa. starts the age-old plot of uh, the city hates Batman because they think he's a giant piece of shit. Which I mean, you could argue for that, and that's that's a fun argument mm. that this movie. Makes I like that times. Uh, Gordon just uh, has a really brief role in this movie where he just washes his hands of the thing entirely. Yeah, he's just, just like, like, hey, if you guys want to go attack Batman, be my fucking guest. But I'm not doing but it. But I'm not doing it with you. I know he's Also, not you guys are going to lose LMAO <laughs> later. <laughs> later, bitch. And then he dips from the entire film and doesn't appear again. It's but great. you know what? You don't need him to do anything else. It's uh, This is still my favorite Gordon so far because goddamn the animated series Gordon is a gem. Oh, he's great. This is what I picture in my head when I see him. The only Gordon I might ever like on his more head and all. is the year one comic book. Oh my god! Also, that animated movie of that, which we won't be watching, but uh, Brian Cranston voices him, and yeah. it is fucking perfect. It's so good. If they got a reboot, who plays Gordon? I want Cranston. Mm-hmm. I want Cranston so bad. Me Cranston could play the hell out of a Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. <coughs> Excuse me. So, after that happens, Batman, like, what the heck? Finds some glass that's stained with some vape cloud. Brings it brings it down to the good old Batcave. Yeah, and goes, like, analyzes it with his giant cartoon computer. Yeah, which yeah. is fucking hilarious still to this day. Yeah. But, I mean, like, it's on brand for Batman. So It is. It doesn't have to make sense. It's cartoony. Right. Just typing in big words flash on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, Hacker Man, I'm in shit. It's like the same thing. Yeah, dude, you know. At least it's like, it knows what it's doing. Everybody in the 90s and 2000s had a supercomputer, even Courage the Cowardly Dog. You mm-hmm. know, what are you going to do? You got to have some way to have a Duet Machina moment. <laughs> I figured out the solution. So while this is happening, we get uh, introduced to our um, corrupt politician. 
God. Councilman Arthur Reeves. Yo, fuck this Who's dude. like, we're taking down the bat. And is doing a press conference. He really don't like Batman, does he's, he? He's like straight up immediately starts blaming Batman. Yeah. And wants him like fucked for what is going on. Because he can't see it any other way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then, we get, we get a little scene with that and like, oh yeah, this guy sucks. And then you know immediately. After that, we get another scene where, uh, uh, well, actually, no, wait. I might be skipping too far out of myself here. The synopsis I have isn't good, so I have to kind of like come up with stuff on my own in my head. All right. Which is not fun. But I have, <laughs> it's I, not fun to have thoughts, Josby? No. <laughs> <laughs> Think he hurt. Um, well, I believe uh, we're introduced to the next victim after a flashback. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, Bruce that's Wayne okay. is having a party. Yes. And a bunch of thoughts are surrounding him. Right. This One of them throws at. a drink in his face. Uh, and he goes and uh, looks at his dead parents and is sad, uh, as often is the case in yep. this movie. And then we get what is one in a series of multiple flashbacks in this movie. And this is actually an origin film in a lot of ways, which uh, is interesting. To a certain extent, is also one of my problems with the film. Yeah. One thing that... This was their take on what... The origin of Batman was yes. that wasn't established in the animated series, right? And I respect this take on it a great deal, actually. I think it's I no, I think the stuff that is relevant to the plot of the movie yes. is fine. But I always and I say this all the time about any superhero, Batman included in this, mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily need to know, and nor is it really important to tell. About what he's doing in the early days of him getting his chops. Like, um, like there's there's a couple like there's a couple scenes of these flashbacks that I think just weren't necessary. Like where he's learning the ropes of crime fighting right. and he's not effective because he's yeah. not Batman. Right. Like we know we know he wasn't effective right off the bat. It doesn't really convey anything compelling or important. And I think that's one of the many, one of the many, one of the few minor issues with this movie, in my opinion. I think that that scene is interesting on its own where he's trying to just plop down wearing a ski mask and stop some crime stuff happening uh that motorcycle scene is a meme though yeah (laughs) but it's like entertaining so i can't really fault it um I, i i like that we have the sense that he is compelled to do this Despite not truly being Batman yet, yeah, I, I feel like that's all it really serves in the overall narrative. Yeah, because we have this push between his desire and his promise to be what will end up being Batman uh, against what we see here in this flashback where he meets uh, a love interest in Andrea Beaumont. Right. Yeah. Who, uh, at the same time, is flying into Gotham. And at the time, we don't know much about why. Yeah. Um, the flashbacks, as they go on, kind of reveal this a little better. But, I don't know, man. It's like, the best the best way I could, I could get my, the way I feel about this across is like, the reason why something like Batman Year One is significant is because it's not Batman's story, it's Commissioner Gordon's. Right, we're like I could see that the idea that like we don't we know and everybody who especially watching Batman Mask of the Phantasm 
knows how Batman got his start and where he would have been. I don't think it's important information to divulge. Now, I understand that the parts of that tie into the actual plot of the movie, but the fat could have been trimmed a little bit. Sure. Uh, but quite possibly one of my favorite moments in the entire mythos of Batman comes as a result of that, though. Yeah. Uh, which is when he puts on the mask for the first time. Right. And Alfred is scared of him. Or maybe just scared of what he is going to be right. from now on. No, that, see, that scene's uh, fine. And that scene is fucking really powerful and good. Yeah, well, it, it's also relevant to what's going on in the movie. Yeah, I would agree. Where it represents his transformation. Yeah. Um, as he a result, leaves that last shred of his humanity behind, basically. Right. Yeah. That, that has an important representation for the plot of this film. Mm-hmm. I like that scene a lot. You just maybe don't like the ski mask Bruce Wayne right. action scene? Yeah, it just doesn't like... It, I, I could see that, but I didn't mind it, you know. It was fun, but it was fat that could be trimmed. Yeah. So anyway... It's a trim 70-minute movie. I don't really mind it. Yeah, it's not. It's a very short film. Yeah. Which is great. Doesn't doesn't feel that fast. Uh, it, no, it's, like, it's really impressive. On. Like, yeah. it, I mean, it flies by. It's a well-paced movie. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that, like, I wouldn't have guessed it was only 70 minutes. Right. Um, so... Bruce maybe still has a thing for Andrea. Yes. And Andrea probably still has a thing for Bruce, but for reasons that are not quite clear to us, they broke it off and we don't know why. Right. Not yet, at least. Yeah. Where we have Batman, like, spying on her and it's kind of weird. He's also trying to find out information about this dude um, who she's talking to. Yeah. Who he knows is, like, a criminal guy. Right. So we just kind of end up seeing her and go, like, ah, fuck. Then we get our second victim. Yeah. Infantism. Yeah. Another mafia boss with his two lackeys. He's visiting the, he's visiting the grave. Of the first victim. Of the first victim. And he says, you always were cuck, LMAO. Yeah. <laughs> Useless cuck, fuck you, LMAO, crying, laughing emoji. He says you always were a loser. Yeah. Yes. So, right after that, Phantasm nice shows guy. up. Angel of death, bitch. It's oh like, my god, this scene is good. Yeah. I love how spooky it is. It's mm-hmm. in a graveyard. Yep, gets scared. Graveyard murder. Tries tries uh tries fighting not doing a good job. No. Uh ends up getting backed into an open grave. Which is fun. And then the phantasm taunts him and mm-hmm. repeats his line, you always were a loser, and then drops a fucking giant angel statue on him. Uh, you can definitely tell that they were released in theaters as very excited to be able to get away with little things. Right. And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. they embraced <laughs> that by having a real murder in this, which is not something that happened very often in the animated no, not series. not at all. No. So, so after that second murder, once again, people are thinking it's the bat. They're wrong. But of course we know that. But it, this ramps up hardcore the uh, police presence on trying to take down Batman. Commissioner Gordon uh, is is asked about this, and he's like, fuck this shit, I'm out. Leaves, tells them they're dumb. Yeah. We won't see him again. Mm-hmm. But Bullock's in, because Bullock's an asshole. Yeah. Uh, quick note on timeline here, because I watched a lot of Batman animated series. I feel like this movie has to take place before... An episode with a lot of character development for Harvey Bullock where he kind of lightens his attitude on Batman. Yeah. Called uh, Bullet for Bullock, I mm-hmm. believe. Yes. Um, has to take place before it. Otherwise, Bullock's a fucking asshole. Well, he is. 
But I think he's an asshole that is still a good cop yeah. at his core. And I think that is really the key of the character that makes him work and not just be an asshole. I kind of think of him as like a J. Jonah Jameson-esque kind mm-hmm. of character. Yeah. Like he's like so. that fucking menace Spider-Man. But at his core, he's not a terrible person. He's just a misguided one. Right. Um, so, yeah, this has to take place before that, because otherwise he kind of has a begrudging respect for Batman and what he does in that episode, because he saves his skin really hard. <laughs> yeah. Dude almost gets murdered by Killer Croc. So, through all this, we get... Well, we get after that we get Batman uh, breaking in after a flashback, showing uh, introducing us to Andrea's father. Yeah, we get we come as well back. as seeing our like their entire relationship mm-hmm. play out. Yeah. Um, and uh, we understand these, you know, this really great scene where Bruce is at his parents' grave and uh, kind of breaks down emotionally. And says that, you know, he wants to do what he promised to do, but he didn't count on being happy. And that's really cool. It comes from... <laughs> really cuts to the core of what Batman is. Right. That's like... It shows you that the, the, the writers really understood what Batman is as a character. Yeah. And kind of, like, puts that out there. There's a lot of references to the actual dichotomy of Batman's psyche. In this movie, yeah, which well, is really great. One of the things I've always enough. appreciated with Kevin Conroy is he does a different voice for Bruce and Batman. Yeah, and while you can definitely see that Bruce is kind of a persona in the modern day scenes, it isn't necessarily a persona in the flashback scenes. He's acting as Bruce Wayne. Right. He hasn't completely taken the plunge into becoming <sighs> the Dark Knight yet. Right. And. It's kind of cool to see him struggle with that and kind of like maybe wanting to be Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And Andrea kind of convinces him towards that by showing up at the gravesite and going like, you know, maybe they do forgive you or whatever. And maybe they sent me and uh, they kiss and embrace. And uh, but then it gets ruined because we learn some stuff that's going on with her dad. Her dad owes the mob money. Uh, These mob characters are ones that we should be familiar with now because they're the ones we've been seeing getting murked by the Phantasm in the modern day. They're ran by crime boss Sal Valestra, who we see in the modern day as uh, an older man that Mm -hmm. needs to use a breathing apparatus. Right. um, Played by Ava Goda. So he breaks into... um, Breaks into Valistra's house and finds a photo. Yes. That has uh, all of these crime bosses, but both the crime bosses that have died, mm-hmm. plus Soul, plus um, you know, just basically every every mom, every crime boss in this movie, plus one particular person that uh, who uh, we can't identify yet. Yeah. But he looks familiar. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So. Also, speaking of which, in reverse, <laughs> uh, Sal is scared yep. for his life because the other two guys have died. And he figures what better way 
to combat Batman than to go to the base of his greatest enemy, the Joker. And that's when Mark Hamill shows up out of nowhere in this movie. And uh, it's done in a really interesting way, too, because we see uh, Bruce and Andrea on a date to this, like, House of Tomorrow attraction. Yeah. And then that's the Joker's base in the modern day. Yeah, like, like see, the, a lot of the flashback stuff is, like, connected to the movie. Yeah. And, like, it's great. This works as a really obvious metaphor as well. Yeah. Where, like, the future is... Uh, not not quite so bright right. <laughs> as the attraction is run down and horrific looking and uh, the yeah. Joker lives there right. <laughs> and uh, god damn it Mark Hamill is so good as the Joker he's, the he's my favorite Joker his performance is always top notch and most importantly he doesn't go full edgelord the Joker is funny as shit in this movie Oh my he says God. so many funny things constantly. Um, him talking to that animatronic woman as if it's his wife. Yeah. Uh, him threatening this big mafia man, but like not giving a shit because he's the Joker. Yeah. Uh, Great. It's so good. So, Sal offers the Joker like $5 million or something crazy to take out Batman. But, uh, the Joker is an asshole <laughs> and decides to just kill Sal and, uh, we off, off camera place him in his chair. And, uh, when the phantasm comes to kill him, Joker sees him in a camera that he placed on Sal's body and goes, whoa, you're not Batman after all. And then explodes the place and the phantasm escapes. Batman chases after the Phantasm right on his heels. But then gets intercepted by the police. This is a good scene. Yep. I like this scene a lot. Fucked up by the police. Mm. He gets messed up. Well, bad. It would if there was the entire police force after him. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's just him getting away. It's a cool scene you don't get to see a lot because usually Batman is working with the police in most comics um, and works of fiction. In yeah. general, uh, and then as he's uh, the he gets to the point where he has to like take off the suit to create a dummy, and he's like basically limping away. And the, the cops are hot on his heels, and then out of nowhere, Andrea appears in a red car and speeds away with him in it. Yep, she's like, Get in, he gets in, they drive away, and then we get here. Um, first thing, first thing you have is Bruce pulls out that photo he found, goes like, What the fuck. Earlier in the film, he interrogated her as Batman, and that didn't work out so well. Right. Uh, She didn't tell him nothing. But here, she kind of spills the beans, or at least we think so, uh, about what's happening. And she thinks that, uh, you know, she explains in a flashback that the reason that she left all those years ago and the reason why, you know, Bruce was, you know, Bruce proposed to her and she said yes. And then all of a sudden she sent back the ring. Said that she and said, leave. I have to leave. And he was confused and heartbroken and then decided to, as a result, remove the last shred of his humanity and become Batman in that scene where he puts on the mask the first time. It scares Alfred. It's great. Yeah. And uh, what ends up happening is we find out what led to her decision to do that was her dad, in owing all this money to the mob, doesn't have it and they need to leave and go on the run or else they will be murdered. So they do. And, and uh, out of state to Europe. Yeah. But they still find them. 
in Europe, and they send a hitman after them. That same guy that's in the picture, by the way. Yep. And he kills her dad. And uh, she is distraught. Now, we don't find out that flashback yet, actually. My mistake. Not until much later in the movie. But she says that her dad is probably this phantasm guy killing the people for revenge. Yeah. Lying. Right. Because, uh... He's dead. So who the phantasm then, Justin? Ooh. Yes, Andrea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as uh, the Joker's about to find out, because lo and behold, as Batman finds out... That's the Joker. That's that's just that's the Joker. That was the Hitman guy. Before he was the Joker, he was much like in the Tim Burton film, a hardened criminal already. Um I like this take possibly better though because there's a lot of unanswered questions. And I like questions in the Joker's origin more than answers. Yes. I don't need to know specifically that he was a gangster named Jack Napier. Right. And that he killed Bruce Wayne's parents or anything crazy like that. This is enough. It works if Joker's an asshole or not before he becomes the Joker. Uh, All origins are applicable and possible. And I really just prefer the multiple choice answer that the Dark Knight movie gave us, really. Yeah. Um, That's the best interpretation of his origin Mm -hmm. that we got. There is none. Right. So, speaking of Joker, uh, after this point, uh, Joker visits Reeves <clears throat> to try to press him for information on who the fuck the Phantasm is. This is a good scene. Yes. <laughs> He's wearing the Killing Joke outfit, oh my god, with the hat. Yeah, dude, Ooh. it's great. Which also was in Batman 89, actually. Yeah. And uh, Reeves insists that it's Batman because he doesn't know any better. Joker's like, nah. It's not. It's not. You're dumb. And then hits him with the laughing gas. And we get this haunting fucking scene where he is nonstop laughing, cannot stop laughing, is in hell, <laughs> and can't stop laughing in this psychiatric hospital. Yep. Then Batman breaks in, just as he's calming down, Batman breaks into the hospital, and, puts him in the drug and, and laughing re-triggers fit. him, basically. Yeah. And, uh... God, this is a good performance from this actor, by the way, yeah. to deliver all this information and appear distressed while laughing. being a raving, laughing lunatic. Yes. It works really well. Through his lunacy, he uh, still reveals to Batman that he helped the, the Beaumonts escape, but then later told Velestra's mom where 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 that the Beaumonts were. He made a deal. Yep. To fund his campaign because he was broke. Yep. And then, of course, this pisses Batman off. He's like, fuck. And then that kind of gives him the idea of who it truly is. It kind of gives the audience the same idea at the same time, where it's like, huh. And then, right after that, the flashback happens that kind of confirms it for you. Yeah. So. Then we get to our, our climax of the film. Mm-hmm. Where. We're at the house of tomorrow. Yep. The Joker's home base. And the Phantasm, or Andrea, shows up. A Joker front- instantly knows it's her. Yeah. He's like, yeah, just. He's like, yeah, I know you are. And she takes. She off takes the off suit. the mask and shows that it's Andrea. Yep. It's like, yeah, I figured you figure it out, and then they start fighting. So yeah, because this is the last target left for her right. is the Joker, because he was the hitman that killed her dad. Um, I guess this technically means that in the animated series, we should know who the Joker's actual identity is, because this has to be a named person that Batman could research. 
but they never get into it, Not and I'm kind of really. glad they don't. There's a lot of unresolved issues from this movie that don't ever get brought up again, although I assume Mask of the Phantasm is, like, canon to the yeah. animated universe, but, like, there's so much unresolved shit. <laughs> um, who knows what happens? Yeah, I'm not sure I really care. Uh, I like you know, I, I, like, I like that it's a question. Yeah. I like that it's a question. Mm-hmm. So they get into scrapping. The Joker is about to kill her by launching her into a big propelling fan. He hits her with a baloney, by the way. That's yeah, the funniest, funniest shit. Because yeah, before she shows up, he has... He slices uh, baloney. He slices baloney with the gross-ass animatronic with the yeah. gross-ass knife. Yeah. He cuts the baloney, eats it, because he's a gross man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they fight, and then he smacks her with the thing of baloney. And, uh, Can I just say real quick, by yeah. the way, there's a part earlier where he takes accidentally a part off of that robot yeah. and goes, ugh, and then just puts it in his pocket. Yeah. It, perfect. No explanation. No, don't need it. <laughs> That's perfect. just a perfect, weird idiosyncrasy, like when Jack Nicholson goes, oop, <laughs> that I just love. Yeah. I think you need little weird things like that when you're playing Joker. Not everything has to be a big moment. You yeah. Know, people like Jared Leto didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. You gotta have little weird things, too. Because if you're if you're playing an insane character, not everything they do is going to be a grandiose moment. Right. I like the little things. Yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of those. <laughs> so then Batman shows up in his bat bike. Yeah, uses all of the all of the vehicles in this movie. Of course, the, besides the boat. Does he have a boat in the animated series? I you don't know, think he probably so. has to. I think he does. Yeah, pretty sure he has a boat. He's got to. I think he at least uses it in the. Uh, the Sub-Zero animated direct-to-DVD feature. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's also really good. Yeah, it is. I enjoyed that Mr. one Mr. Freeze in the animated series is fucking... Top-tier. Top-tier shit. Yeah, it's great shit. So he shows up, he saves he saves Andrea, and then goes like, hey, why the fuck? Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's like, oh, this is the only way I could have gotten revenge, and Batman's like, oh, Bruce's like, look at me. Yep. <laughs> no, it's not the answer. So we have this kind of interesting parallel here where... Yeah. Both of these characters turned into vigilantes outside of the law to enact vengeance. But Batman is the one that does not kill. And Andrea, on the other hand, has decided to totally kill the people responsible. Yeah. And it's interesting. This is a parallel that gets explored a lot. Uh, Multiple Batman characters that are like this that Batman has, let's say, disagreements with. Red Hood... Prometheus, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of them. I mean, Prometheus is even out of left field. I'm sure nobody knows who that character is. But I fuck be- it. I do because of the Arkham games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love stories like that, but it's hard to portray them in a way where Batman feels like the right one sometimes because, like, leaving the Joker alive feels irresponsible at this point. And that mainly comes with how they portray him now as the worst villain imaginable who has done all these terrible things. Yeah. Maybe in the animated series you could get away with it a little more. We're like, he has killed people, but he hasn't, like, ruined Batman's life and his colleagues' lives multiple times over. Right. Um, it's a, it's still an interesting story to have, though. Mm, absolutely. Uh, explored really well in stuff like Hush, mm-hmm. where Batman beats them fuck out of the Joker for the entire comic and has only stopped from killing him by Gordon. Uh, great little piece of art there. Yes. Awesome part of that comic. Yeah. An amazing comic. And I think it's the highlight of the whole story. Yeah. So, then, uh, she escapes from Batman. 
and takes off after the Joker, who is trying to escape. Batman gets after them. Uh, then Joker's like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. And decides he's going to blow the place up. It's important that we note the really weird fight scene that happens first. Yeah. Where they scrap. Uh, in in a scrap. model of Gotham. Yeah, which is fun. Uh, the, the Godzilla thing. Well, they did this as a throwback to the... Uh, the weird era of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Dick Sprang comics. That name is so fucking funny every time I hear it. Dick Sprang. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um, where, you know, Batman would have uh, adventures that were not quite ordinary. Yeah. They found a way to have an inordinary thing happen in an ordinary location. Yeah. Where, you know, Godzilla like, shit happening. Yeah. <laughs> Joker does a really funny thing where he hides behind like a cardboard thing inside, and then he just takes it off and hits Batman with yeah, the it's building. So funny. Um, it summons little tiny planes to attack him, so They're it's like drones. two scale. Uh, they, they, it's they, great. Yep. It's great. They cut him a couple times with blood in this movie. Mm-hmm. Fun, and then uh, and then he kicks Joker so hard in the face, a tooth he, comes yeah. out. It's way more violent than you know almost anything in the entirety. Yeah, the animated series. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot to get away with it, though. There's an episode I have yet to see that the comic adaptation of was very violent and graphic. Uh, Mad Love, which is Harley Quinn's origin. Yeah. Who's being in which they made the intentional choice to not include her in this movie, Mm -hmm. even though she is Joker's, you know, sidekick slash lover. Uh, Now, they obviously loved Harley Quinn because they created Harley Quinn, Paul Dini, uh, and everybody, but... I think they decided that it, it was best to limit this to one key villain. Yeah, and on top of that, like... She would have been kind of distracting, Yeah, keep everything buttoned up and kind of, like, streamlined and cohesive to the plot. Yeah. It worked It worked in its favor very well, I think. Well, she wouldn't have had anything to do with the past parts, and the yeah. Joker does. Right. So, like, I think this works better as, like, maybe something that, like, takes place before maybe even any of the episodes of the animated series. Yeah. That's where I would probably recommend watching it. I'd watch I'd watch it before you watch the animated series. But I would still recommend the animated series wholeheartedly. There's uh there's oh, definitely there's definitely bad episodes, but you'll have that with any show that runs for like almost 100 episodes. Uh Hell, you could just probably like look up a list of the best ones and watch them cuz they, they don't have to be watched in any order. Brilliant show. But anyway, our conclusion of the film our characters fight. Joker's gonna blow up the whole fucking place. Yes. Batman catches up to catches up to them, and she has Joker as the place is coming down. Mm-hmm. And then Batman makes one final plea to her that it's not worth it. You don't need to do this. And she's like, nah. She just holds on to the Joker, and she's gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Joker gives out an iconic Mark Hamill haunting laugh. Mm-hmm. And then they just fade into smoke. And then Batman gets blown up and knocked away from them and can't find them. Yep. No no idea where they're at. And, uh... That's basically the end. Yep. It's, uh... Pretty sad, honestly, for the end of a film oh, about yeah. Batman. Uh... There is a little coda where we find out that Andrea is still alive. I honestly don't think they needed that. No. Um, 
I feel like they were maybe saving it in case they wanted to do a follow-up in the show, but they never did because there was no reason to. Yeah. Um, at that point, you just have to move on to other romantic interests for him anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I don't know, maybe like Selena Kyle, of course, and like stuff like that. The, their storyline was done. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else you need to do That's with Andrea Beaumont. Like, I, I think it works better if she does die and yeah. the Joker dies. But I guess they don't. Um, but whatever. You could view this as isolated from the main series or not. I don't think it really matters. I'd like to think that she actually did kill the Joker. It it's kind of like, cool. Yeah. Well, it would be like a, a combination of like her her becoming the more extreme version of what Bruce became. Yes. And what it do, what it can do to somebody and how well, it's a lot of what is said in the last couple lines of the movie where Alfred talks to Batman and kind of says that, like, that's what he was afraid he would become. Right. So when he's freaking out at Batman, that's kind of like probably what he's feeling. Yeah. Bruce is going to go off the deep end with this shit. But he never does because he's Batman. Yeah. He doesn't kill. And uh, I like its statement on that. Mm-hmm. But I guess you could kind of view her being alive as she chose not to kill the Joker and she just chose that she needs to just get away from everything mm-hmm. and be alone as Batman needs to be alone. Uh, but they never followed up on it, so who knows what they wanted to do right. with that. But yeah, that's the movie. Good shit. Definitely. I think it's easily top so far. Yeah, I think it's the best movie we've watched so far. Narrowly beating Batman 66. Narrowly. <laughs> well, you know what? Batman 66 is a lot of fun in a completely different way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A great movie in an entirely different way. So this film was very well received. As you would imagine. Yeah, it's um, Gained a cult following. 83% Rotten Tomato score, by the way. Now, however, due to the nature of its sudden and unceremonious move to a theater release, uh, the film only ended up grossing $5.8 million, not even making back its $6 million budget. It flopped at the box office, to be quite frankly. Um, the film would still prove to be a hit on its eventual, finally, direct-to-video release. Uh, And in the years to come, it would really gain traction and popularity. Uh, Future DC animated films would mostly end up as straight-to-video, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming, whatever you want to say, in the future. And there's lots of great ones. This really started them all. Yeah. And they're still making them today. Uh, Movies about all characters, not just Batman in DC. Justice League, Wonder Woman, Superman, uh, still making Batman ones. Uh, not quite in the the Timverse, as it's called, uh, after Bruce Tim's name, yeah. which was the original animated canon. But uh, they have a new canon, I believe. But every now and then they reference and have something that takes place in the old canon. They just had that Batman and Harley Quinn movie a couple years ago. It's not good, though, unfortunately. No, that sucks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I think that's easily uh, probably going to stay close to the top for me. I don't know what will really take its place. The only things I can really see doing that are like Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. Yeah. And I don't know where I'll land on that. I'll have to think about it a lot. It'll be really interesting to rewatch The Dark Knight again. Yeah, in a Um, modern context, it might be interesting. I've seen Begins a few times because I actually really adore that movie. Begins is good. Um, I think it's better than The Dark Knight. I'm one of those. Huh. We're going to disagree on a list, huh? Oh, yeah. 
We're gonna have to have a third impartial party to make a tiebreaker. I think as far as like what the movie's going for, I think tonally begins hits it a little better than Night. <sighs> yeah, but Night has Heath Ledger Joker, mm-hmm, which is great. Yeah, it also has a lot of other dumb shit. Oh, my dogs are hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Next week is uh. The start of something terrible. Joel Schumacher! It's time. Oh, I'm really curious to see Batman Forever and what I think of it because it has been so long since I've seen it and I've avoided it. But, you know, hey, Returns was way more ridiculous than I was remembering. Maybe I'll look at Forever in a new light. It's still going to be last, though, so far. Oh, probably, yeah. But it won't stay there for long. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, until next time... Uh, Tune in next week, same bad time, same bad channel, LMAO. Get it? I referenced the thing. I'm a genius. Woo.